get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. And welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is a happy All-Star Tuesday. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And good morning to Michelle Smallman, and congratulations on your victory well-earned in our Home Run Derby draft. Thank you, Randy. And a personal thank you to Pete Alonzo, <laughs> my first pick yesterday in the Carragher and Smallman Home Run Derby draft. Pete Alonzo is a monster and single-handedly propelled me to victory, and I can't wait to watch you spin the wheel later today. Yeah, we'll spin the wheel a little bit later on, and it'll be interesting to see where I land. Some of the possibilities... For my punishment later today include doing the show from the parking lot, wearing a uh, Stan Kroenke, <laughs> I heart Stan Kroenke shirt that we would have to get made, wearing a uh, Red Wings jersey, which I would hate. But a lot of Stan Kroenke here, a Stan Kroenke, Kroenke profile pic on my social media for a week. Uh, the cinnamon challenge, where I would have to eat a teaspoon of cinnamon. I, want to, I want to throw the chubby bunny challenge on there, Randy, okay. with the marshmallows. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Okay. Uh, there's also the possibility that I, that I would have to eat bad jelly beans, which are like you have a group of good jelly beans with one bad jelly bean mixed in. It's really a bad thing, I understand. The thing is, Randy, I personally do not want you to have to wear anything that says you have any ounce of affection for Stan Kroenke, and I certainly don't want you, of all people, to have to have your profile photo be Stan Kroenke, yeah, even though that's a punishment. But after yesterday, I'm going to motion that we remove those from the board because that's a punishment for all of St. Louis to have you in any way have to represent that clown. Kind of is. Yesterday at the the Carnahan Courthouse in downtown St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis lawyers faced off with the NFL lawyers and what the NFL lawyers wanted was a protective order that would give them the ability to not have individual NFL owners or Roger Goodell or the league itself have their finances delved into in ter- uh, for the purposes of damages when St. Louis wins this lawsuit. And Chris Bauman, the main attorney for St. Louis got up to the podium and spent a better part of a half hour detailing in great fine granular detail things that the Rams and the NFL did to allow the Rams to leave St. Louis and violate their uh, the, the league's own relocation guidelines. The NFL attorney came back and basically to most of the points that Chris Bauman made said that what is necessary is clear and convincing evidence of an outrageous conduct and an evil motive. And then he went point by point and basically said, I don't see outrageous conduct and evil motive there. (laughs) And this is with things. Let me just give you a couple of examples of uh, Uh, just quickly for everyone listening. Randy has a full yellow legal pad of notes. So I went to school, Michelle, from kindergarten through college, finished four years of college. I've never taken this many notes in my life. And I appreciate your dedication to taking notes when it's not in your nature to make sure that you provide this information to everyone. Oh, thank you. Myself yeah. included. 
Okay, so some of the things that were brought to light yesterday. An email from Eric Grubman. I'm trying to get some terrific L.A. opportunities to fruition under the cover of darkness. <laughs> uh, and Bauman went on to say, secrecy is only necessary when outrageous, reckless conduct has taken place, which I think is fair to say. If you're not planning on doing something evil, why does it need to be done in darkness? Exactly. Uh, at one point during his deposition, Roger Goodell held up the relocation policy and at, was asked, is this mandatory? And Goodell said, counsel, it says right here in parentheses, I, I put it is. So, yeah, according to Roger Goodell, what he said last month, I believe, our suggestions are indeed mandatory. The NFL is having a tough time pick, making up its mind as to whether or not their relocation guidelines need to be followed or not. So essentially the words do not match the actions because he's saying that they're mandatory, yet all of their actions lead us to believe that they're not mandatory, that they're optional for NFL owners. Right. It's remarkable what they thought they could get away with. January of 2014, right before word came out that Stan Kroenke had purchased the land that the stadium now sits on in Englewood, Demoff emailed the NFL and said, there's going to be a story. Email came back from the NFL, said, what should we say? Demoff gave the NFL talking points that uh, the Rams and the NFL were prepared to negotiate in good faith. And essentially what Roger Goodell said at the press conference in b before the Super Bowl in New York between the Seahawks and the Broncos, he said St. Louis just needs to keep doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And he also said, I don't know what that land is for. Stan Kroenke is a developer that buys land all over the world. I don't know what this land is for. He hasn't informed us that it's for a stadium when, in fact, Kroenke had informed the NFL, like he informed Demoff in 2013, that there was going to be a stadium built on that land. I have, let's oh, see. So, so yeah. those, just to be completely clear, so when Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl stands up and says all those things, I have no idea what this land is for. Stan Kroenke, he's a businessman, because we all remember that mm -hmm. press conference. Yeah. Those talking points were provided by Kevin Demoff. Right, correct. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and there was one other note that uh, I think that, well, there's a lot of stuff that I think you should know here. Uh it's a good thing we have four hours today, Randy. Early 2014 emails again. This is before that press conference. Uh, this is one of the things that Demoff said that the NFL should say. Uh, there are no plans, to my knowledge, that this land is for a stadium project. Okay, Goodell said this. Goodell had been on a phone call in 2013. I need to find this note for you. With... Art Rooney of the Steelers, October 13th phone call. Mm -hmm. A phone call with Kroenke, Goodell, Art Rooney of the Steelers, John Mara of the Giants. I'm going to buy two parcels of land and I'm going to build a stadium. He told them on that phone call. In L.A. Yeah. He said, we're going to try very hard to stay under the radar screen and keep it hidden. Roger Goodell says in that phone call, we will respect your confidentiality. That's in 2013, in October of 2013. Busted. Yeah. So what came out of this is that the league and Roger Goodell and several owners are going to have to be subjected to having their net worth investigated by St. Louis so that St. Louis can essentially determine what damages they punitive damages they should have a right to if and when they win this suit, which starts in January of next year. The trial starts in January of next year. 
And by the way, uh, Ben Fredrickson of the Post-Dispatch has a great piece up. Joel Courier of the Post-Dispatch. Go to stltoday.com and check out their work uh, because they were in the courtroom as well. And a lot of good notes. I didn't take every single note. And there are things that I have that aren't in Ben Fred's piece. And and I pretty much put everything I have on Twitter at Randy Carricker. And there are things in Ben Fred's piece which are fantastic that I didn't put on Twitter either. So it was really an interesting experience. And I told you, Michelle, and I'm sure that these NFL owners or NFL attorneys are great, mm-hmm. right? Even though I I wasn't, and I'm not a judge or an attorney, but I, I wasn't compelled. If I were a juror, I wouldn't be compelled by the performance of the NFL attorneys. And for those my age, and maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, heck, we still have a Charlie Brown Christmas on TV, right? Yeah. If you've ever seen a Charlie Brown special where the teacher, where the kids are listening to the teacher and the sound is, that to me was the NFL attorneys. And if I'm sitting in a courtroom and I'm a juror and the attorney that they had representing them yesterday is speaking in the same tone and saying the same things that he said yesterday, that's the way I would hear it. I would get, I had to stop taking notes because I got glassy-eyed. For real? Yeah. With all the money that they put into making sure that this stadium got built and the relocation went through in their favor, you'd think they'd spend enough money to make sure they have the most dynamic counsel possible defending them in this lawsuit, which could cost them billions of dollars. And perhaps that will change by the time we get to next January because yesterday was not a good day. For the owners, you think Jerry Jones wants lawyers from St. Louis delving into his personal finances, which is exactly what was allowed by the decision yesterday? Oh, those people do not want anyone to know what's going on no. with their finances. No, Absolutely no. not. Especially when they're looking through their finances to assess what they have because they're going to have to pay for yeah. what they did. Right, exactly. So it was very interesting and obviously more is on the way, but I thought... And obviously, we're biased, but I thought that the case made by St. Louis, and I even made an effort in listening to the NFL attorneys to say, okay, I know they're trying to make a great point here. Mm -hmm. So I made an effort to find out, to figure out, okay, how is this working for them? And overall, I couldn't. The one thing that they had was that the St. Louis group had not voluntarily deposed 51 of the 57 defendants the 50 uh uh, but of the six that were deposed and the league itself those people are all allowed to have their finances checked into so So, big l for them yes right and that that was the only win for the national football league so there you, there you have it. The thing that I took away from it, and again, you had amazing notes on Twitter. Everyone should go check them out. Every Andy character, Ben Fredrickson, as you mentioned, had great stuff. He he put up a note about how the day before the relocation vote, Ram staffers were writing a letter meant as a goodbye to fans. I'm reading from his Twitter mm-hmm. feed, and it was referred to as the AMF letter, which means adios, mother bleepers. Yeah. And to think that Kevin Demoff very publicly over and over and over again came in this very studio and spoke to the fans through our airwaves and said, nope, buy the tickets. Come see our terrible product that you have been suffering through for many years because putting your butts in the seats is going to help convince 
the NFL, that St. Louis needs an NFL team and we're not going anywhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that the fans were brought on this emotional roller coaster for years mm-hmm. thinking that their team was going to stay or that they had a chance for their team to stay. And then they're writing this callous letter to put out to fans that is so phony and so fraudulent and they're going to title it AMF behind the fans back. It's sickening. It is so callous and I'm so glad that these people are getting exposed nationally for exactly who St. Louis knew they were all along. And one other quick note here that I have gleaned from this and I don't know if this is the actual case or not but if in 2013 Kevin Demoff and Stan Kroenke at the beginning of Rams training camp would have said you know what We aren't going to be able to get a stadium deal done here. We invite St. Louis to try to build us a stadium. But our focus is, from a business standpoint, going to try to be to move to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. If they would have just been transparent about their desires, we would not be having this conversation this morning. If they would have just said, nothing personal, just business. Mm -hmm. What are we going to say? We, We didn't come up with a a stadium plan that fit what they wanted. But no stadium plan here would have fit what they wanted. That's exactly right. We weren't. And it was their desire to move. I I would feel personally a whole lot better about the situation if we wouldn't have heard all the things that we heard under the cover of darkness that they did yesterday. Absolutely. If they would have been very upfront with the fact that this is all about money, this is all about greed, we want to increase the valuation of our franchise, we want to move to L.A., we think it's a better business decision for us, I think people would have been offended and they would have been hurt, but at least they would have known straight up what they were dealing with. And the Rams would have taken a hit financially here in St. Louis at the time because people wouldn't have showed up. If they knew that the team was moving, they wouldn't have showed up. But to think that they had Eric Grubman come to town and that they had these fan forums, you were at them, and that they sat there and allowed fans to get up in front of a group of their peers and their fellow fans and essentially plead the NFL and try to convince them to stay and just expose themselves emotionally and give them hope that there was a chance the team would stay. It's disgusting. Yeah, And with the horse having been out of the barn, not for an hour or for a year, but essentially and this timeline starts basically in the summer of 2013 when Kroenke called them off and said, I have a perfect stadium spot. It started, started in 2010. St. Kroenke was, was done with St. Louis by the time that he was approved. And there was a, a rumor never confirmed that when Kroenke was confirmed as an owner in August of 2010, that he immediately said upon being approved as a full owner, Los Angeles, baby. So we're looking at 2010, and they moved, obviously, in 2016. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's where we are here on 101 ESPN. We're off and running. We want to get your texts, and we want to hear from you a little bit of what's better. Coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's All-Star Week, and that means on Character and Smallman, it's Flashback Week. We're going to relive the 70s with Dan Dierdorf, our friend, coming up at 
8.45 on the show. And then today at 10 o'clock, we're in for Dan, who's on vacation. So we're here till 11. And at 10 o'clock, we're going to talk to a former big red wide receiver, one of the dominant players in NFL history, Roy Green. Really looking forward to that. Mike Claiborne as well, his usual spot at 8.15. And tomorrow, Michelle, Mark McGuire will join us to talk about the 90s. A lot of our favorites this week. I love Flashback Week. It's going to be great. All right. It's time for a little game of what's better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Emily is here. What do you have for us? From the 636, what's better, the dunk contest or the home run derby? I would say, this is my own personal opinion, I used to think it was the dunk contest. I think that's kind of jumped the shark. I I think it's much better, and I'm not a, I haven't been a huge home run derby fan, but now that I had a bet on it, it was a lot better. Even though I lost. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook promo code SMALLS. Oh, no, this was just my bet with you. Oh, okay. Now, I could have done FanDuel Sportsbook, and next year I shall, no doubt. But it's if you have skin in the game, it's much more... It's much more fun to watch. It's much much more exciting. I w- next year they'll have to have it on Tuesday so that we can have five dollar dinger Tuesdays oh, on Fanduel Sportsbook. Yeah. Again, promo code Smalls. I'm with you. I was very locked in last night, not only because we had a bet, but because it was so entertaining. It was awesome. I really enjoyed the home run derby last night, and I kind of thought both of them had lost some luster over the years. Maybe it's because a lot of the people that we expected to participate in things like that don't because they're resting their bodies or they're not at All-Star Week, but I thought that the collection of talent they had last night was great and that it was really entertaining. My opinion, Michelle, tell me if you agree with this. I thought it became arduous when they had a number of outs. You, you could hit as many home runs as you wanted, and you had something like 10 outs to get. Mm-hmm. Now that you have the three-minute time limit, it, limit, it was a four-minute, now it's a three-minute time limit, limit to hit as many home runs as you can. I think having the clock makes it a lot more exciting for me. Couldn't agree more. It gives it a sense of urgency, and the entire thing moves. It moves yeah. along. I thought the clock was great. So we both take the home run derby over the dunk contest. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that's a different tune than yesterday. It was yeah. because I was going to watch it, but wasn't really into it. And I went to bed last night saying that was great. Pete Alonso with the 35 homers in the first round set the tone for everything. Yes, he did. Thank you, Pete. From the 636, what's better, barbecue or pizza? Pizza. I've yeah, never, i got to go with pizza. I've never had bad barbecue, but I think the worst pizza is comparable to the best barbecue, if that makes sense. Pizza is just the the superior thing. And here's the thing. Pizza is kind of like a utility. You can sit there on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon and say, what do you want for dinner, pizza? Yeah. Nobody ever says, what do you want for dinner, barbecue? It just... it's not something that you can just go up to the nearest corner store and get. Right. Like you can with a pizza. You don't have frozen barbecue. Pizza is convenient, and it's something that everybody at some point needs. Mm-hmm. Barbecue, while spectacular, is not a necessity. And think about the range pizza has. Oh, barbecue yeah. is delicious, but it's you know exactly what you're getting every time. Pizza, you can have a classic margarita. You can have a taco pizza. If you're so inclined, you can put pineapple on your pizza. You can do a breakfast pizza. Breakfast pizza. Fruit pizza? Absolutely. The range that pizza possesses makes it superior. And we don't take this as an affront to barbecue because we're both barbecue aficionados. This is just essentially what do you, what's better. And for us, because of its convenience and utility, we're going to go with pizza. Yeah, St. Louis is some of the best barbecue in the entire yeah. country. We're not dissing barbecue at, not all. at all. We got this one from three different people. So from the 618 and the 314, what's better? The NFL 
paying St. Louis billions after the lawsuit or the NFL giving St. Louis an expansion team? Well, based on what we just heard at the in the opening segment and what I heard yesterday, and I've mentioned this before, would you want to get into business with a company that as they were leaving you said, adios, mofos? <laughs> would you... Is that too, do you want to get in business with a company that said, yeah, I'm going to move this business out of town, but I want to keep it under the radar screen? Or another person who said, yeah, I've got great opportunities in another market, but I want to keep it under the cover of darkness. Do you really want to get into business again with that group? There is no appetite on the part of St. Louis to do that. And I would say it's better to take the billions rather than get a team, know that the league is going to hate you for it and probably never get a call from an official. Yeah, I can't understand why people, after having it in black and white yesterday, very, very, very specifically outlined to them not only what they did to St. Louis, you being St. Louis, but the way they feel about you. If your significant other cheated on you very publicly and left you and was mocking you behind your back as they were were cheating on you for years, you wouldn't be like, I hope they take me back. I hope I can get back together with them. No, you'd be like, forget them. I'm glad that they've moved on to someone else because I'm better off without them. So I can't understand the people. And I know people love football. This is an amazing sports town. And when the Rams were great and we had the greatest show on turf we had great memories with them but again why would you ever want to be in business or in any sort of relationship with this collection of people and michelle i'm going to take it a step further because your analogy is great but it's i hope from a guy's standpoint i hope that she'll come back to me so that i can buy her more jewelry and a nicer car because they're going to come back and ask you for a ton of your money too if if they ever came back you're paying 250 dollars a ticket yes and buying psls And I'm going to take it one step further. Let's just continue to roll this analogy down the hill, Randy. This is when this person was cheating on you. They, let's just say they were a bit dumpy. They were disheveled. They were unemployed. Mm -hmm. They were really bad. And you supported them throughout all this. You said, I don't care that you don't look great. I don't care that you're unemployed. I love you. We'll get through this together. Then they cheat on you. They leave you. They drop all the weight. They become an Instagram model and they're flaunting their abs everywhere. You sat through terrible football that they put you through for years. They weren't even trying. And then they left and they dyed their hair and they got the abs and they started trying to win once they got to LA. Yeah, it's the Instagram model that uh, was out looking for multiple NBA players. (laughs) (laughs) From the 636, what's better? We'll keep it with the NFL. Kroenke and the NFL being found guilty or the Blues winning another Stanley Cup. We have a cup. (laughs) I want the world to know exactly what happened here. And I was very pleased that Pro Football Talk took my Twitter my Twitter uh, yesterday, my Twitter timeline, and wrote multiple stories about it because now it is becoming something that is known around our country, at least among football fans. And this will become a big national story. When you have the biggest national sport, by the way, our friend Seth Wickersham from ESPN was also at the hearing yesterday, and we'll have, I'm sure, an ESPN story about this. But the world needs to know what the NFL is. It's, uh, as Bernie called it, it's a cartel. It's a mob. (laughs) That's right. And... There shouldn't be a place in America for that. You're right. We do have a Stanley Cup, and that was the most unbelievable ride that we've ever gone on. And getting another one would be spectacular. However, 
I was at ESPN when this went down, mm-hmm. and I was banging the table that the St. Louis side of this needed to be talked about because when the vote happened, the narrative was L.A. gets their team back, not look at what happened to St. Louis. This is awful what their fans and what the city just had to go through. And so to have these people be held accountable for their dishonesty and for their actions would be great. But I also think St. Louis for a long time has been screaming from the rooftops about what happened to them, what happened to us, and no one was really listening. So Mm -hmm. to have St. Louis not only get vindicated from a monetary standpoint, but just from the actual truth coming out and people understanding how burned St. Louis was by this, I think is victory it's like a double victory for me. And you know what? I, I think, Michelle, we should get people to weigh in on this because I know that you and I and Emily, we all feel like there are some demons that need to be exercised here, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that would happen. And hey, when we have the Cronky Sucks chant, when we had the Battle Hawks selling the number of tickets oh, yeah. that they did, when we had the biggest crowd in the history of the PGA Championship, when we had the biggest crowd in the history of the U.S. Olympic gymnastics trials, All of those are middle fingers, essentially, at Stan Kroenke to say, we are great sports fans. So I think coming up, we we need people to weigh in. And you can send us a mic drop or you can, you you guys on board with this? Yes, Talking more about this because I want to hear what you have to say. We're getting so many texts Think about this, yeah. I I, I want people to weigh in. And number one, I, I want to find out if you feel like there is something that needs to be exercised here the way you feel about the NFL and are you looking how much are you looking forward to the trial that starts in January because I this is kind of like a game for me it's like I'm looking forward to a game and wait until it starts it's like the Super Bowl it really is it absolutely is and you're so right St. Louis we know St. Louis's flaws trust us Randy and I are the first people to tell you all the things that St. Louis can improve upon one of the things that is not in that column is being a a great sports town. We know for a fact, without a shred of doubt, that St. Louis is one of, if not the best sports town in the country. And so for them, Sam Kroenke, the NFL, to rip a sports franchise out of this city and then try to tell us that we're not worthy of one on the way out the door, that we're not a good sports town, it's just a blatant lie and it's a personal attack. And should be noted, by the way, when we talk about the flaws of St. Louis, that during the process, Kevin Demoff was sending emails to the league noting the murder rate in St. Louis mm. and the credit rating of St. Louis. So we'd love to have you weigh in with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. We'd love to have you weigh in with our text line, 6578 or the Air Comfort Service text line coming up. Emily, thank you. Great work, as always. Thank you. And uh, we're going to talk a little NFL lawsuit with you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A lot of response to the hearing yesterday in St. Louis in which the NFL wanted to protect their owners from, from having St. Louis interests delve into their finances to determine what 
kind of damages might be available if St. Louis prevails in a lawsuit that's supposed to begin in January of 2022. I have some notes here. Great work by the guys at the Post-Dispatch, Joel Courier and Ben Fredrickson at STL Today, or if you just want to pick up a newspaper. But we want to hear from you and I. Uh, like, you want me to count the pages of notes that yes, I took? Okay, please. one, On two, this big legal pad three, Randy has. Yeah, four, five, six, seven. I took eight pages of notes, Michelle. That's ridiculous. Was I, your hand cramping afterwards? It wasn't. No, I was fired up. <laughs> I bet your blood pressure was through the roof as you were sitting there listening to all of this, Randy. It was remarkable. Was it hard for you to just sit there and listen to all of that without reacting I at all? I wondered if the judge, especially when the NFL uh, when the NFL lawyer was up there saying things like, well, these owners had to vote. And I knew that after... He went to court with the NFL. Al Davis never participated in another another vote for the rest of his time as an owner. He abstained. Owners don't have to vote. All of these misstatements that the NFL attorney was making, and I had to have some expressions that were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? (laughs) Because I know things that are wrong that he's saying. So... Yeah, there were times where I wish I could have just said, come on, man. I wish there was a camera just (laughs) zoomed in on your face the entire time. But what I'm learning about the NFL and about their lawyers and this entire process is that anyone affiliated with the league thinks they can say or do whatever they want and they will face zero consequences. So I'm not surprised that their lawyers feel like they can make misstatements and that everyone will just take it as fact. They probably think that whatever they say, that everyone involved in this will just take it as fact because it's the NFL saying it. The the NFL used to serve a leadership role, not only in sports, but I kind of think in our country, pre-Roger Goodell. And now, and we're going to learn this on a national level. We already know it in St. Louis. They are not a good group of people. They are not quality individuals. I'm not, I'm not going to throw a blanket over most of them, but let's just say the league is not the sort of thing that you would want to follow like the sports world did on 9-11 when everybody waited to see what the NFL did before they acted. And, and the NFL called off their games and the rest of sports pretty much followed suit. Now, the NFL would be the last place you'd want to turn to to determine what is right and what is wrong. It's kind of remarkable to me that they're not ashamed no, of, no of, of their behavior. If I had lied and cheated and done all of these terrible things and it was getting exposed to the entire country, I would be humiliated. I would be so embarrassed and ashamed by my behavior. And it just seems like they keep on moving. They, yeah. don't, they couldn't care less. And I want to toss this out there because it was mentioned yesterday in a court proceeding that the Arizona Cardinals did indeed vote against the Rams relocation. If there is a shining light, if there is a good person in this league, it's Michael Bidwell. Which I think should make a lot of people in St. Louis feel good about that. And I do believe that this is my own personal opinion. I don't have this as fact. I believe the other team to vote against the relocation in the 32 vote was the Carolina Panthers and Jerry Richardson. Not sure about that, but about 95% sure. I know a lot of people are weighing in. We've talked enough. Let's let uh, people say what they have to say. Michelle, I know you're all over the text line here. From the 636, I supported the NFL, but now that we're a bunch of mother bleepers to them, bleep them, bleep Kroenke and the entire NFL, which is the most corrupt organization. They are corrupt. That's very true. 
from the 314. St. Louis is like a large group of siblings. We can talk about the flaws of the city, but the minute someone outside does, we line up shoulder to shoulder to tell them off. I want a pound of flesh from the NFL. <laughs> well said. I like, that's, that's so true, isn't it? It we, is. We can talk about our city, but don't you dare talk about our city. And that's the way it should be because we are. St. Louis is a big family. It is, and nobody messes with our no. family. Absolutely not. From the 618, from the thousands of Rams fans in the area, I'd like to thank Randy for everything he has done regarding the Rams' sham of a relocation. I'm with you. I can't wait to get this trial started. Yesterday was quite the nice little gift, though. This is what so many fans thought went down. And this is just the start. And thank you very much because I, I got to admit, everything I've done was because I was, a, you know, a passionate fan charter season ticket holder, wanted my kids to be able to take their kids to games like my dad took me to games. And there was a lot of passion involved. But man, I'll tell you, you talk about being disappointed by a league and an entity. The NFL certainly has disappointed me, but I wanted it for St. Louis. There's no doubt about it. From the 573, I can't stand the Rams fans who became Chiefs fans after this, especially after Clark Hunt went public for his support of the move. Don't blame Clark Hunt. And I've talked to multiple people about this on the St. Louis side who said that there was no malicious intent on the part of Clark Hunt. He wanted the team to stay in St. Louis, but he also knew from a league standpoint, and he was correct about this, that L.A. would not support two teams. The only reason that in that relocation committee vote, he voted for the Inglewood project rather than the Carson project is because he thought the Rams would be the only team that would move because he thought it was bad for the league. And he was right. He was prescient in saying that L.A. is not a market that's going to be able to support or not able not willing to support two NFL franchises. And and then during that day, the, the Jerry Jones, I'll call it a conspiracy, comes into play, and they do wind up moving two teams into the Inglewood project anyway. Right. But the thought in that morning when Clark Hunt voted was that there would only be one team moving to L.A., and that would be the Rams. From the 501, hey, Randy, where's the tailgate for the trial in January? <laughs> we'll have to get that <laughs> planned, but that's a great idea. From the 636, anyone that still supports the Rams after this needs to reconsider. Yeah, anybody in St. Louis. And I get it. If you're in L.A., you got your team. You should be happy. And you should be happy that by any means necessary, if you really wanted an NFL team, the league and Kroenke did it. But know that it was really by nefarious means. It was by any means necessary, and they weren't necessarily the, the most kosher means. Coach Hang from Waterloo says, keep that bleep show out of St. Louis and show us the money. Yeah. and Doesn't want an expansion, Dame. And yesterday ultimately was about money. That's, that, that's what this came down to is how much can and should we ask for? Should we get a mic drop or two? Let's do it. Let's get Derek on 101 ESPN. It's kind of like when you get broken up with and you're not really given a good answer. There's so much more that was said that we don't even know about. What you're hearing in the trial now is just tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's still closure that needs to be had. We need to know exactly what they were saying. And the world needs to see just how corrupt and how money-hungry, greedy these gentlemen are. And uh, if it can cause them some personal and uh, public pain, then all the better. And... You make a very good point about tip of the iceberg. Christopher Bauman, the St. Louis attorney, one of the things that he said early in his presentation yesterday was that the defense, the NFL, 
kept discovery confidential. And my guess would be that there's some discovery, some items that we will never know about, but other things that, whether it be through texts or emails or phone calls, that have been kept from St. Louis. Wow. Uh, Great message from Derek, but I will dispute one thing. I don't think we should call anyone involved on the NFL side a gentleman. No, good point. Good point. (laughs) And uh, Richard joins us on 101 ESPN. I would love for the NFL to lose that case and for St. Louis to get billions, but I would much rather them lose and us use the money for an expansion team and with their own money. Yeah, and again, I know that you love football. And by the way, the football right below the NFL is 90 minutes down the road on Saturdays in the SEC. But here's the thing about an expansion team. Number one, the NFL is not building a stadium for St. Louis. Mm-mm. St. Louis, the, the leadership of St. Louis and St. Louis County has, there's three things. They have no appetite, okay? The, the government has no appetite in dealing with the NFL. Kroenke never met Mayor Slay. He met Jay Nixon once and said, I'm moving the team to L.A., all right? In terms of corporate leadership in St. Louis, they screwed Edward Jones with the naming rights. They screwed National Car Rental by saying, I'm a blanket, I'm out, when National Car Rental put $169 million into a naming rights deal. And the very next day, Demoff says to the league, blanket, I'm out, because he didn't want anything to do with that. And Demoff said that St. Louis is the second biggest financial institution center in America after New York, okay? And it was suggested to Kevin Demoff, hey, why don't you go to some of the other financial institutions in St. Louis rather than Edward Jones? Get them to spend some money with you. They have a lot of money. And if you go to Bush Stadium, you'll see you've got Wells Fargo out there. You've got what was formerly Scott Trade. You've got Ameritrade out there. Stiefel, right. Stiefel. You've got all of these people that don't need exclusivity. I refuse to believe that if Kevin Demoff went to the president of Edward Jones and said, you know what? We want you to be our naming rights person. We love Edward Jones, but we also want to stay in St. Louis and we want to spend, we we want other companies to spend some money on that. Would you be cool with that? I have to believe Edward, I know Edward Jones would have been cool with that. And so from that standpoint, you, you don't really want to deal with the league because they've screwed a lot of the corporate people. And one other point, Michelle, and we need to, uh, we'll get another text and we'll get to Tioli, but Keep this in mind. The biggest companies in St. Louis, Enterprise, Worldwide Technology, Anheuser-Busch, Purina, they're all in on soccer. Of course. Worldwide Technology and Enterprise are part owners of the Blues. They are owners of the MLS franchise. Purina has their naming rights on the front of our soccer jerseys. Founding partner. Yep. The the big hospitals in town, the big money-making hospitals in town are in on hockey and baseball. Anheuser-Busch has their naming rights on the stadium. Corporate St. Louis has moved on from the NFL. And even people that were involved with the Rams and have been involved with the league since the Rams left. And Sean Kahn said it on the on the way out the door. He said, from a corporate standpoint, St. Louis just doesn't stack up anymore. And it stacks up less now for an NFL team because of the way they acted and because of our MLS franchises than it did on J- July, January 12th of 2016 when the move was made. So if you think that the outcome of this lawsuit is going to be an expansion team... That ain't happening. Put that thought out of your mind. And and even if the NFL offered it, St. Louis would say, 
Now we're good. They should say AMF. <laughs> there you go. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We thank you for your mic drops and your texts. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Michelle is here. Emily is here. This is Randy. And Michelle, this is uh, basically an opinion, but I know you're tight with Stan because you guys hang out at parties and stuff. So I I want you to tell me this. Take it or leave it. Stan Kroenke right now cares about what happened in a St. Louis courtroom yesterday. I'm going to take it only because it impacts his finances because someone's going to get carte blanche to look into his money. Mm -hmm. Not because he cares about St. Louis realizing that he's a fraud or that he did them dirty, that he did his home state dirty. None of that. I think he cares that someone's going to be looking into his money. I agree. I think that's what bothers him the most, and that's what's going to bother all of the NFL owners the most. They take such great pride in the Packers being the only team that reveals, because they have to, they're publicly owned, reveals their financial standing. And these owners have done a great job of hiding their financial being over the course of time and now somebody has the legal ability to go in and investigate that which is great yeah be interesting because that's i i want this to hit them where it hurts and the only place it hurts is in their wallet yep Take it or leave it, Randy. Speaking of their wallets, Stan Kroenke and the NFL better be prepared prepared to say AMF to part of their bank account. I'll take that. Yeah. Adios, blanker blankers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They better be prepared. And I know that in the past, Roger Goodell, when faced with a good attorney like the Blitz firm here in St. Louis, has said, hey, we have good attorneys, too. I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it yesterday. And I'm sure these guys are fantastic attorneys, and I'm a biased observer. Clearly, clearly I'm a biased observer. But I was nonplussed. I was not impressed. I also love how we we knew Stan Kroenke was dirty. We knew Jerry Jones was involved. We knew Roger Goodell was in the bag, all of these things. I think part of the, the great satisfaction that emerged yesterday for me is just seeing what a weasel Kevin Demoff is in black and white. Yeah, we knew it, but to have his emails and things revealed like that, it just, it confirms everything we thought we knew. Yeah. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 573, take it or leave it, letting Lance Lynn walk away might be John Mazalek's biggest mistake. Hmm. I don't know. You could have had Fernando Tatis Jr. for under a million dollars. That was a pretty bad mistake. (laughs) It's true. For under a million dollars. And he wanted to be here, too, Randy. You could have signed Max Scherzer back in the day. Yeah. That would have helped. Yeah. Right now, you've got an all-star tonight for the American League and Adolis Garcia. Yeah. Pretty big mistake. So, But I would say Lynn, got to be top five, right? Yeah. And there were extenuating circumstances with Lynn because... He didn't like Matheny, and I don't think Matheny was a big fan of his either. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of went beyond the GM. And yes, it was absolutely 100% a mistake by the Cardinals. And another part of it was when Lance had to undergo his elbow surgery, mm-hmm. they signed Mike Leake, which was also a big mistake. It was. They've signed some big contracts. <laughs> I forgot about the Mike Leake deal. Yeah. 
From the 636, take it or leave it, if Randy owned a business that had a chance to make billions more by moving cities, he wouldn't do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that. Now, would I be transparent about it? And would I follow the law? Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not the fact that they wanted to increase their valuation and make more money that is the problem here it's that they lied about it and that they made st louis pour all of this money into a relocation effort that was never going to happen and one of the first things in the nfl relocation guidelines is that teams are essentially it says you this is not set up so that teams can make more money it's not the way the league is supposed to work. But if we know that that's what Stan Kroenke is all about, his entire being, his self-worth is based upon his self-worth. That's a weird thing to say, but I'm convinced that he he values himself based on the Forbes top 400 richest people rankings. And so that's who he is. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem if he wants to make more money, but... Yes, if uh, if it would make a difference for me, yeah. Now, I also, like Stan said, but I am more honest about it, I guess. I'm born in Missouri. I love Missouri. And I'm not here to lead the charge out of town. I care more about this town than Stan Kroenke ever did. Mm-hmm. So I would want to make things work in St. Louis. Like the DeWitts, who, by the way, are in Cincinnati. They built a stadium in St. Louis, right? So, yeah. And continue to pour back into St. Louis. Nobody has done more for downtown St. Louis over the course of the last two decades than the DeWitt family. So, yeah, they care about St. Louis, and they made an effort to make it work here. And he obviously had no desire to do that. Do you think every morning Sam Kroenke checks his placement on the Forbes billionaire list the way we check the box scores or check the standings to see what the Cardinals are doing? There has to be some avenue for him to check the worth of everybody on a daily basis. So, yeah, I believe he does. And because stocks fluctuate so much and richest people fluctuate so much, it only comes out once a year in Forbes. But there's got to be a daily thing for him. And I believe he does, yes. From the 573, take it or leave it, the financial reward for this case will be north of $1 billion. Yeah, I'll take that. In fact, I'm going to say north of $3 billion, Michelle. Oh, I was going to say two, but you think three, huh? I think more than three, yeah. That's my guess. Especially after they they get um, the information and are privy to all the financials, right? Right. I'm going to do some math for you. We've had this... uh, I thought we were told there was no math. Well, I'm actually going to write it down. Oh, okay, okay. So when we get to 9.45 today, I am actually, during breaks, going to do some math for you and give you what I think the number will be, okay? That'll be at 9.45. Ooh, I'm excited for that. Okay, I'm going to get my legal pad out. Okay, great. All right. Let's do one more, Emily. From the 618, take it or leave it, Roger Goodell will be losing his job over this lawsuit. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. Even though he did say we will respect your confidentiality, at the end of the day, and Jerry Jones might not like this, so maybe he will fire him, but at the (laughs) end of the day, Roger Goodell has 32 bosses, and they are the NFL owners, and his job is to make them more money. 
All those owners were at the NFL owners meetings in January of 2016, and they were the ones that voted 30 to 2. He did not have a vote. He also is in charge of making sure that these guidelines are met. And to an extent, he would at least publicly say we are a league of rules. But then he's got Jerry Jones flouting those rules at every turn. If anybody should be blamed for this, it should be Jerry Jones, who admitted in his deposition that he urged Kroenke to move the franchise. And then the day after the franchise vote was taken to move it to L.A., Jones Legends Corporation signed a contract with the Rams to sell their PSLs and luxury boxes. Yeah, if anything, this just illustrates how good of a lapdog Roger Goodell is to right. his bosses. Yeah, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thank you, Emily. We appreciate your hard work. And coming up, Pete Alonso goes back-to-back in the Home Run Derby, and that is not good for Randy. That's next <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> win it. He just won it. Pete Alonso, home run derby champ again. And he had 30 seconds, 31 seconds left on the clock. That was a pretty spectacular performance, I gotta tell you. It's 808 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, and Pete Alonso did win his second consecutive home run derby he eliminated Trey Mancini last night 23-22 in that final round Alonzo finished with 74 home runs Mancini finished with 59 and I I texted Michelle and Emily last night pointed out to them that they were both rooting because they were rooting for Pete Alonzo that's right they were rooting against an Italian cancer survivor sorry it happens it happens I was so thrilled and you were so despondent yesterday after the draft because I had Otani, yes. Trevor Story, Joey Gallo, and Trey Mancini. You had Alonzo, Juan Soto, Matt Olson, and Salvador Perez. You finished, Michelle, with 171 home runs. I finished with 138. So you win, and I'm a loser. I have to tell you, Randy, I was a little despondent after the draft yesterday because you got Shohei Otani. You got the marquee name that was competing in the Derby last night. You got future Cardinal Trevor Story. I didn't want to have to cheer against Trevor Story, who had Nolan Arenado as his hype man and his water boy last night. We certainly don't want to have to cheer against that crew. And Trey Mancini, as you mentioned, mentioned Italian cancer survivor. How could I possibly cheer against him? But I picked Pete Alonzo with my first pick. He was the reigning champion. I knew he had special bats made by Gregory Sift which, mm-hmm. Sif, which is an artist that I love. But he, from the jump last night, Randy, he came out there with so much swag. I knew he had a great chance to go back to back. Not only did he have the bats, but he had the tunes on point, Mob mm-hmm. Deep, Nas. When he had Biggie playing and he was down 10 home runs with a, a half a minute remaining, and then he had 30 seconds left and he just cranked out five home runs. He was singing during the pauses. Yeah. He was dancing. He was as relaxed as can be, and I think he's just the best home run hitter on the planet. And thank you, Pete, for this victory. And he agrees. By the way, how about the first-round battle between Otani and Juan Soto? It goes into overtime, so they do a one-minute overtime, still tied after that, and then each player has three swings. 
Soto hits home runs on all three of his swings, and once Otani didn't get a home run on the first one, he was done. So Soto beats Otani 31-28 in the first round, and I thought that was the round of the evening. I agree. That was so fun. The swing-off was so fun, and especially because Otani started out very cold, very cold. I was kind of concerned that there was all of this buildup around Mm -hmm. him and what a show he was going to put on and that just for his sake and for baseball's sake, I wanted him to really have a strong performance. And so for him to be able to battle back and not only tie it, but go into a swing off, I thought was great. It was great theater. So since I lost, I have to spin the wheel of punishment, which includes items like doing a show from our parking lot right out here in Creve Court at City Place, uh, doing the entire show in the hot weather uh, with apparently having to drink milk at the beginning of each hour, right? <laughs> also, the uh, performing the Chubby Bunny, which is stuffing your mouth with marshmallows and having to say Chubby Bunny with a mouth full of marshmallows. It's more difficult than you think. I, I could do it, though. Uh, also, <laughs> a, a giant sign that says, I lost to Michelle, and I walk up and down Olive in front of our building with that. Or maybe just Michelle is superior at picking teams. I do that, yeah. She's the best uh, ever. Having an I Heart Cronky t-shirt made and wearing that. Mm-mm. The cinnamon challenge where you eat a teaspoon of cinnamon. Be interesting. You just take, you just throw it back like a shot? Yeah. Or I, like my I, protein powder that I choked on. And okay. then no water, right? No water. So you see how that works out. See how that process works out. Also, just a couple of the other things. Eat bad jelly beans. And uh, there was one that said, oh, uh, Randy would have to run a half marathon. Okay, so. <laughs> Can I say one thing? Yeah. Motion to remove the I Heart Cronky t-shirt off of the wheel because it's a punishment for all of us if you even mockingly support him. Accepted. Okay, thank you. Take it, mo- take it mo- off the board. Accepted. Take that eraser. Erase it off the board. There it is. Yeah, I see it right there. Uh, Especially after yesterday. It's on the green section of the Wheel of Punishment, which, by the way, I got a a, a text last night with a a GIF or a GIF with a wheel spinning. That was me. Yeah, I just said, I was like, see you in the morning, Randy. The wheel (laughs) spinning. (laughs) All right, here we go. trolling. Never hurt anybody. (laughs) Never. All right, here we go. The suspense is killing me. Okay, and it lands on. Thank you. Ooh. It lands on the Chubby Bunny. The Chubby Bunny Challenge. How about that? So I'm going to have to bring in a bag of marshmallows? Yes, and we will film it for social media. And you'll have to. I'm very. We should have people that day. We should set a standard of what's the number of marshmallows over or under that people think that you'll be able to fit in your mouth. Okay, we can do that. You want to do it? Let's see. Thursday or Friday? Sure, but just so you know, I do also have something in my back pocket from your last wheel of punishment. I've lost two in a row now. You have a streak? But the last one that you lost, you spun the wheel, and it said that you had to say I love you as a goodbye to every guest we had on. Now, I thought about using that yesterday because we had Craig Berube on the show, Mm -hmm. and I thought that would be hilarious, but I also didn't know how Chief would handle that. (laughs) And I I didn't know if that would go over well or if he would think it was funny. So I didn't throw the card down yesterday, but I'm thinking about using it sometime this week. We are talking to Mark McGuire tomorrow on the show. Mm. That could be funny. And who else do we have on the show tomorrow? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Do you remember, Emily? I don't. We're talking I, I do not. 2000s. I think we have another. Or no, 90s. We do have somebody else. We have somebody that. else that I thought might be funny if you said I love you to them as well. So just be aware, Randy, that I may okay. throw that card out at any. You can have two punishments this 
punishments this week. All right. I'll keep that in mind. All right. There you have it. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to our buddy Mike Claiborne about the Cardinals' first half. Ask him about the NFL lawsuit and more. Claibs next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Smallman on 101 ESPN. We don't have a fighter yet for the fight at 830. And if you would like to participate, you can send us a text with your name to 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. If you'd like to fight at 830, you can text us right now and participate. But before we get to that, we have to get to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Our friend Mike Claiborne enjoying the all-star break, I hope. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and you're right. I am enjoying it, doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> that's what we like to hear. Hey, before we get yeah. to baseball, I, I want to get your take on uh, everything that's happening with the St. Louis NFL lawsuit. And I know that you, you've paid close attention over the years. And, and we grew up with the NFL winning a lot of lawsuits. I just want to get your take on what's happening here. Well, you know, I think because the NFL has been – involved in so many over the last, let's say, 50, 60 years, that they feel like they, they're infallible. They, they think that, you know, because we're the NFL, that they're always going to win. And, you know, I, I think maybe that, that streak is coming to an end because I think common sense is coming to play. You know, St. Louis abided by the rules prescribed by the NFL, and they kept moving the goalposts back. Uh, and so at some point, somebody had to call a timeout and say, all right, enough is enough. So, I think we're getting to near the end. Um, and I think because Stan Kroenke is on the hook for this, remember he had to cover everybody's expenses, the other owners. And at some point, somebody's got to say, all right, enough is enough because I don't think they want to be in court and things would be divulged that would certainly embarrass the league and, and, and some of the owners as well. So I, I hope we're getting to an end here. I don't know what that number is going to be, but, uh, it's time for everybody to, to to settle up and move on because I don't think any, anything better is going to happen out of this. Clippers, let's talk a little Cardinals baseball. Now that we're sitting here at the All-Star break, Randy and I talked about this yesterday. What grade would you give the Cardinals for their first half performance? Uh, you know what? Somebody asked me that yesterday. I would say C, C minus. Uh, you know, I, I, when you look at it in, in, in levels, okay, no one's having a breakout season, okay? So you, you look at the players, no one's having a breakout season. Maybe you could say Anthony Reyes, or Alex Reyes. Uh, so you look at that situation. You look at the injuries that have beset them, whether it's Flaherty and Michaelis, who are very important people, but also Jordan Hicks. I mean, you think about how important he was going to be and obviously gave Alex Reyes an opportunity to step up. But I think that, you know, you move things back with regard to how your, your bullpen would look. The other element is you just haven't, you don't have enough good players. I mean, when you think about the pitching situation in the bench, I mean, the bullpen has been struggling from day one. Uh, it's hard to find a legitimate starter beyond Adam Wainwright with any consistency. Now, KK is starting to settle in a little bit. But, you know, you look at the bench and you don't have much of a threat coming off of it. You don't have a left-handed presence. Even though Matt Carpenter is playing better, uh, it's not what you, what you need. You need more. So I think with all those things said, you know, it's a C, C-minus. 
you know, but there's room to improve. There's, there is room to improve. Riotti said it best the other day. Hey, we all know we need to be better and we can be better. You know, and so when you look at it along that line, yeah, there's work to do. And maybe because of the division that they're in, uh, they can make some make up some ground because Chicago's starting to fade. Uh, Milwaukee's still a good team, but they can't hit. You know, look at their look at their. I think they're the worst team in the National League as far as offense is concerned. So you know, so at some point that's going to catch up to them. So right. the Cardinals have a chance. There's no question about it. But it's up to them to do it. You know, you have a 500 team or near 500. Uh, it's the most frustrating thing I think there is in, in sports uh, because you just don't know what team is going to show up each day. And that that's very difficult to know. It's hard to develop any consistency when you don't have starting pitching. And here we are on yep. July 13th, Klaibs, and I can't imagine that Jack Flaherty is going to be back before the begin, the middle part of August. Can you? He's got to do another spring training, and we're a month. Right yeah. now we're four weeks away from August 15th. Right. Well, you're right, uh, and, and the thing is, he was on the trip with us, and he's he's long tossing. So, but you know, he's not going to be ready to go before, let's say, the first or second week of August, because he's going to have to go out and get some starts and get some action. Right. So the, you've got him. You've got Carlos probably out for the season. Michaelis is a coin flip at best. We have we we've seen him with since his new contract kicked in at the beginning of 2020. We've seen him for four innings, and you just don't have like you said. You got Wayno and KK's kicking in, but. I'm not going to realistically rely on Wade LeBlanc or Jake Woodford or who am I missing here? Somebody else. Uh, Just pick a guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're all the same guy. You you win. You go on streaks because you have starting pitching. And the Cardinals just, uh, for various reasons, they don't have enough. They don't. And, and I don't know where you're going to get some. <clears throat> and please, let's hold off on the Libertor talk. Okay, this is a young man who didn't pitch anywhere last year. And he's, what, 20, 21? And to say, oh, he's going to be the savior this year, that if you're putting your hopes on, on a 21-year-old who didn't pitch last year, uh, then you've got bigger problems as far as assessment. Uh, I've said this to you all before. The, the, the person or the people who are going to make the difference on this team aren't on the team as we speak. They're not in the minors. Uh, they're they're playing for somebody else right now, and how you get there is, is going to be the challenge. And Mike, you remember that off season of 2000 when the Cardinals went out and got Hengen, Kyle, and they brought back Andy Bennis. I kind of think that's the sort of off season the Cardinals need to have this year. Yeah, you know, uh, again, I, I don't think you need star power. You need players who who can still contribute. Um, and, and again, we you know I've said this before as well you better get some people that are going to be on this team for next year because you don't know what your, your, your uh, rotation is going to look like uh, other than Flaherty and Dakota Hudson. Uh, you know, obviously miles Michaelis is on the contract, but I don't know who else is going to be in the rotation. I mean, KK is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I think we've seen enough of the other guys to know whether we want them back. I don't know if Carlos will be back or not. So, you need someone who can come in this year and you say, all right, we're going to pencil him in. He's going to be our third starter. And, you know, you obviously are going to have to take a long, hard look at Adam Wainwright and, and say, you know what, we might not have a bad rotation if he's our fifth starter. Yeah, right. But if you want to put him up to the front, I just think you're asking for trouble. 
Absolutely. And, uh, Clibs, you mentioned Carlos Martinez. I want to stick there for a second because he's likely out for the season and likely this might be the end of his Cardinals career. And when I look back at Carlos Martinez, he might be on my Mount Rushmore of what if guys, because what we expected of him Mm. and the potential that was there and never really manifested or at least consistently for one reason or another. But when you put together your list of Cardinals, Mount Rushmore, what if guys, is Carlos on there for you? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be there uh, because I, I think we, we've seen his skill level in Spurs where, you know, he's got a, as good a stuff. He has as good a stuff as anyone on, on this ball club. Um, but for some reason, we didn't see it with any consistency. And, and as you mentioned, Michelle, there's always something with, with him, whether it's an injury or, you know, whatever. You know, he, we, he just hasn't been able to put it together with a consistent fashion that you'd hope for that once saw him in, they saw him in an all-star game, you know? So yeah, I think he would be on that mountain. I mean, it, you know, the way we're going, we got to go out and buy another mountain here at some point, <laughs> because we have a few of them that are starting to uh, fill out that situation. Hey, Claves, before we let you go, we're uh, doing flashback week, so we're going to talk 70s and 80s today. Roy Green's going to join us at 10 o'clock, and Uh. Michelle didn't get a chance to see Roy play. And I, I tried to describe it, and I tell people, go to YouTube and try to find Roy Green highlights. But I want you to give me your impression of what Roy Green was, because I, what I told Michelle was he had Tyreek Hill speed and Anquan Bolden strength. He was that sort of receiver. That's a great call. You know, I, I, I used to talk to Jim Hannafin about this, that if Roy Green was in the greatest show on turf with Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt, we're talking about a guy that probably would be in the Hall of Fame. We're talking about a guy who probably would have 2,000 yards in receiving. Now think about what I just said, 2,000 yards in receiving, or let's just put it this way. He'd have 2,000 yards in total offense because I might have him back on kick return. Yeah, He he was as special of a player as we've ever seen come through St. Louis. There was nothing he couldn't do on either side of the ball. He could be a kick returner. He was a punt returner. He, I think he had the record at one point for the longest kick return. 106 Remember yards against Dallas? Dallas? Yep. Yeah, I'll never forget that one. Um yeah, there was nothing he couldn't do. I mean, he was strong as, as a bull, but he could outrun anybody. Uh, and I remember when he was fooling around in practice with Jim Hannafin, saw him uh, playing receiver in practice, just playing around. And the next thing you know, they give him a shot at it, and, and all of a sudden his career just turned around dramatically. But what an incredible player. I know you're going to have Dan Deardorff on, yep. another person who I would have put at guard uh, or center on the greatest show on turf. Not to say that they needed help in that offensive line, but they would have been a lot better. Kurt would have never gotten dirty. He, his uniform would have been clean all the time. No doubt about it. We're looking forward to those. We always look forward to having you on the show. Mike, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of the break. And tell us what's going on with ClabesOnline.com. Well, two things. Well, first of all, tell Roy and, and Dan, my, give them my best because I, we, they're two we will. special people in St. Louis. But we're going to have uh, Jackie joining Kersey this week, talk about the Olympics and uh, what's going to be happening and how much it's changed since when she was one of the greatest ever to where we're at now and how do you deal with all the things and the distractions and the testing and everything else that comes with being an Olympian and, and what to look for in the Olympics this year because – you know, uh, most of us don't pay a lot of attention to it until it's right upon us. So she'll have a better idea on what events we might want to pay closer attention to. Love I guess it. the ones that we can win at. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If we, I don't know if we're going to be really worried about some of those events, but I just want to know which ones do we have a chance at? Hopefully, basketball, man. 
Oh, man. Oh. You know what? <laughs> and, and, and they have all the ingredients. I mean, they've got great coaching, very good players. They just have to figure it out. Now, I'm hoping they can turn that around. It just says how great the rest of the world has become thanks to what basketball has meant to this, the world thanks to the U.S. players. Absolutely. Claims, we will hear you on uh, the Cardinal broadcast on Friday night when the Redbirds return, and we will talk to you here next week. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a great week. Take care. You too. That is our friend Mike Claiborne joining us as he does every Tuesday here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we got a fighter, and we've got a fight next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 837. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. Randy's challenger today is Nick. What's up, Nick? How's your morning? I'm doing all right. How about you, Michelle? We're doing great, thanks. Nick, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm on the road to Hillsboro. I'm, I have court at 9 and so I'm a, I'm an attorney. Oh, you're an attorney. Awesome. Have you been paying attention to this Rams lawsuit that we've been talking about today? Uh, of course I have. We uh, I'm a returning fighter. We uh, discussed this, uh, I think it was back in January or December. We were talking about Rams ornaments that we had all destroyed. So um, anyways, uh, so yes, I'm following along. I hope Kronky has to dip into his pocket quite a bit to pay off everybody. You and me both, Nick. You and me both. Well, good luck today. Thank you. Question number one for you. It's Yadier Molina's 39th birthday today. Which Puerto Rican former baseball player has Yadi previously said is his childhood hero? Is it Pudge Rodriguez, Roberto Clemente, or Orlando Cepeda? Childhood hero for Yadier Molina. I'd have to say Roberto Clemente. Who has the record for most 40-point games in NBA Finals history? Is it LeBron James, Michael Jordan, or Jerry West? Um, well, considering he's played in the most uh, finals, I'd say LeBron James. Question number three, Nick. Who was the 2019 Major League Baseball All-Star Game MVP? Was it Alex Bregman, Joey Gallo, or Shane Bieber? Alex Bregman. And Max Scherzer gets the nod as the NL starting pitcher tonight, marking his fourth time starting an all-star game. Only three pitchers have started the all Do you need me to restart? Yeah, please do. I just cut out for a sec. Sure thing. Max Scherzer gets the nod as the NL starting pitcher tonight, marking his fourth time starting an all-star game. Only three pitchers have started the All-Star Game five times. Robin Roberts, Lefty Gomez, and who? Is it Randy Johnson, Don Drysdale, or Jim Palmer? Randy Johnson. Okay, we are checking our score here. Randy on his way in. How do you feel, Nick? What's your confidence level right now? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel okay. Meh. When you have to start with, meh. 
It's not usually a good sign. <laughs> Randy, say hello to Nick. Nick, how you doing? Good. How about you, Randy? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoy the show, and I enjoy the opportunity. Thank you. All right, Randy, question number one. Yes. You may not know this, but it's Yadier Molina's 39th birthday today. Happy birthday, Yadi! Happy birthday to the GOAT, Yadier Molina. Which Puerto Rican former baseball player has Yadi previously said is his childhood hero? I'm going to have to go with number 21, Roberto Clemente, even though it might be his brother. But I'm going to go with Roberto Clemente. Who has the record for most 40-point games in NBA Finals history? 40-point games in NBA Finals history. The old default here is MJ. He played in six finals, and Russell didn't score that much. He He was a huge rebounder. So because I know he's going to be on the list, I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. Randy, who was the 2019 Major League Baseball All-Star Game MVP? 2019 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. That would have been two years ago. And I will do the lifeline here, see if I can get my memory jogged. Alex Bregman, Joey Gallo, Shane Bieber. Um, Is it jogging? I don't think it was Biebs. It seems like Bregman. I will go with him. Max Scherzer gets the nod as the NL starter tonight, marking his fourth time starting an All-Star game. Only three pitchers have started the All-Star game five times. Robin Roberts, Lefty Gomez, and who? Five All-Star game starts. Roberts, Gomez, and... I'm going to play the... uh, Let's see, he pitched for a long time. Should I go Maddox? Or should I go Clemens? Um, I think I'm going to go with Greg Maddox. We have a tie. Mm. We have a tie on a Tuesday. Okay, Nick, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. As I'm reading it, Randy is going to write his answer down on his sheet of paper there. You're going to get first crack at this. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. Then Randy will reveal what he has written down on a sheet of paper. First person to get it correct or closest to the pin wins, okay? I got it. I went to PKs last time and lost, so hopefully I don't lose again. Here is our tiebreaker question for Nick and Randy. How many hits does Adam Wainwright have in his 16-year career? How many Uh. hits... Does Uncle Charlie, Adam Wainwright, mm-hmm. have in his 16-year career? Oh, he's, I think he's about a 195 hitter. And, uh, 16-year career? 16-year career. Okay. Adam Wainwright, how many hits does he have in his 16-year career? I'm going to go 112. 112. Randy, your answer is? 185. Okay. Emily... Tell him who won. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. 
Adam Wainwright is probably listening, Randy, because uh-huh. you know he's a friend of the show. And I think he's going to be bummed out that nobody knew that answer. Just saying. Um, so Yadier Molina has previously said that his childhood hero is Roberto Clemente. And again, happy birthday to Yadier Molina, 39 today. And still, How about that? Still thriving. Jerry West has the record for most 40-point games in NBA Finals history wow. with 10. The 2019 Baseball All-Star Game MVP was Shane Beaver. Mm. Shane, it was Biebs. Only three pitchers have started the All-Star Game five times. Robin Roberts, Lefty Gomez, and Don Drysdale. Uh, and it came to the tiebreaker question, which was how many hits does Adam Wainwright have in his 16-year career? Nick said 112. Randy said 185. Nick was closer to the pin. The correct answer for Uncle Charlie is 137. 137. So, Nick, congratulations on your victory. We will talk to you tomorrow. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. We are going to talk to Dan Deardorff coming up next on the Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Flashback Week on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we are looking back at the 70s right now. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and that is one of the favorite songs of one Dan Deardorff, St. Louis's own. And it's always great to talk to you, sir. How, how did you like Night Fever? You know, like I don't feel old enough already. It's Flashback Week, and you got to start with disco music. Uh, all I need now is to look at a bunch of pictures of what we wore back in the 70s, and then I can throw up. <laughs> I was going to bring up the plaid pants, but I wasn't even going to go there, Dan. <laughs> oh, how about the how about the shirts, the silk shirts with the <laughs> balloon sleeves and the long collars? And uh, what a lost decade. Dan, were you a bell-bottoms guy? No, I was not. Um, I, I was not. Well, you know, first of all, not the big bell bottoms. Every pair of pants made back then had wide openings at the bottom. Um, look, can't we just forget it? <laughs> there's no, there's no upside to reliving what we wore, or or the length of our hair in the seventies. It was just not good. Hey, Dan, what was St. Louis like when you came to town? Because people that, like Michelle, she she knows St. Louis as a market in the 20s. And even when the football Cardinals left, I think St. Louis was 17. But when you got here, I, I believe St. Louis was the 12th or 13th biggest market in America. What was St. Louis like in 1971, 72 when you arrived? Well, let me tell you something. I, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, uh, went to college in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, went to training camp for the Cardinals in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, uh, on the uh, shores of Lake Michigan, where we'd get up in the morning during training camp uh, and, and put on a windbreaker to go to breakfast because of these nice, cool mornings. And then we broke training camp and moved to St. Louis uh, somewhere around the 1st of September. And I thought that I had moved to the surface of the sun. I, I, I had never been anywhere in my life where it stayed that hot at night. I, I, I was in shell shock for a decade. And the humidity, Dan, I'm sure you didn't appreciate either. Oh, <laughs> uh, we would practice on the floor of Bush stadium 
and we fried like bugs under a magnifying glass. It was it was it was beyond belief sometimes how much weight we would lose during the course of a practice. It was a uh, it was a, a an adjustment for me that took years. Dan, what was it like? being a part of the football Cardinals at that time, because Randy and I have spent a lot of time this morning talking about the Rams and the lawsuit that's going on right now with St. Louis and having, having the Rams and the NFL kind of disparage St. Louis as a football town. But Randy and I were talking about the fact that when you guys and the football Cardinals were around, it was the thing in town. Well, you know, we were never, you know, the baseball Cardinals had been here so long and they were so entrenched and, we knew we shared a stadium with Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and, and on and on and on. And, and then Ozzy and his generation. And, and, you know, we knew, uh, we knew we were loved by the community. We had a strong following and, you know, I, I just have to tell you as a player, I, I was more worried about two tall Jones than I was our perceived place in the community, uh, in the, in the fandom. I, I, you were you're in the moment when you're playing professional sports you are completely in the moment you have tunnel vision and you know it wasn't until uh after i retired and went to work at camo x with brandy that you know then it all started to crystallize the big picture when the football cardinals were going through the whole exercise of trying to get a new stadium and then moving to arizona and yeah, but as a player, uh, if if you've got time to immerse yourself in things like that, you've lost your way, and you're going to get your butt beat on Sunday. Dan, I, I wanted to ask you this question because I remember vividly, and I'm a kid, and I remember when you guys started off seven and zero in 1974 after going four nine and one, four nine and one, four nine and one, and I remember the headline on the front page of the Globe Democrat and the photo after you guys get to seven and zero, and this is top the top half of the newspaper is about a football cardinal win on Monday. There had to be newspapers laying around there, and you guys are looking up in the stands and saying, "Wow, this is different." That had to happen, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were we were thrilled and, and the town was on fire and, and, you know, for a lot of us that came from winning programs, I I'd never been on a losing football team in my life. As a matter of fact, when we went four, nine and one, my rookie year, those nine losses were more games. That was more losses than I'd had my entire high school and collegiate career put together. And, and so I was, I, I needed uh, I needed some uh, psychological help. That was tough, and and three years of that. And then when we exploded in '74, um, uh, it was it was fantastic. And uh, the next four years was well, all I can tell you was a lot of fun. Dan, I went down a rabbit hole last night looking at some of the injuries that you sustained throughout your career, the broken jaw, the knee injury, and I just cannot believe the mental and physical toughness required to play through some of that, to overcome some of that. Was there ever a time where you were dealing with injuries where you thought, I don't know if I can do this anymore, or was it just inherent in you that you loved the game and you wanted to continue playing? Well, I'd never been hurt until I broke my jaw in 77, so I you know, I had a, a great run there, a lot of seasons back-to-back where, you know, I played every snap of, of every game. And then when I broke my jaw, that was uh, an eye-opener. And then, you know, I'm healthy and 
78, but then the knee injury in 79, it was such a, uh, a catastrophic injury that I, I, I never really, even though I played uh, another four years after that, I, I was playing on one leg. Uh, it, it, I survived, but I was never the dominant player that I was uh, prior to that. And that was what was really difficult. And when I, when I made the decision to retire in 83, it was really, I was, I, in one way I was lucky, you know, a lot of guys get forced out of the game and they think to themselves that they can still play, that they can still contribute. I, I quit because I knew I couldn't even get through a practice anymore. So it was when I pulled the plug, it was relatively easy. Hey, be- before we get to the next part of this, was it you that broke your jaw or somebody else? What do you mean? Do you think did, I punched myself or something? What did, how did that happen? It was a game against the Vikings, right? Well, it was a, it was against the Vikings and, and, uh, uh, we were comfortably in the lead and, uh, there was an interception, uh, late in the game. And, uh, uh Mel Gray tackled the, the guy who intercepted, uh, Jim Hart's pass right away. But, uh, the Vikings defense had turned up field and, and, uh, it was really a cheap shot. It should have been penalized. It was three or four or five seconds after the play was over. But they had an all-pro linebacker named Matt Blair. And Matt Blair just speared me uh, right in the face with the top of his helmet, the crown of his helmet. And at the last minute, I just kind of whipped my head to the side to try to keep from getting hit. And he hit me right in the ear hole and it just shattered my jaw in two places. And that was my point. It wasn't, it wasn't just part of the game that it was, I wanted to, no. to get it out there that it was, it was a cheap shot. And then tell us about the next four weeks about how you ate and then how you came back. Well, I, 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 I actually was going to, uh, what they do is they put braces on your teeth uh, and then they wire them together. And, uh, uh, your teeth are clenched, and, and the only thing you can get in are, are liquids, coffee, broth, that, that type of thing. And then uh, the reality is is that you start losing weight. But I was going to keep playing. But then what happened is uh, uh, the next, a week later, uh, it's like one of these things where the snowball starts going downhill. The side of my face blows up, and uh, the, as it turned out, the – the, the blow of, of getting my jaw broken caused my wisdom teeth to abscess. And so they had to re-break my jaw, go back in, pull uh, two wisdom teeth, and wire me back up again. And if that wasn't bad enough, then uh, some of the infection got in my mandible, and I ended up in the hospital for five days, hooked up to IVs, getting massive doses of, of antibiotics. And so the long and the short of it is, uh, my jaws were wired shut for six weeks, uh, and I lost 55 pounds. Um, yeah, I, I would not recommend that diet to anyone. <laughs> it's effective, though. Yeah. Oh, no question. It was effective. <laughs> and, of course, my teammates were so sympathetic. You know, they'd walk by my locker and offer me a sandwich. and go, oh, God, I forgot. Your jaws are wired. You know, it's it's. 
It was merciless. The other thing, Dan, I wanted to get from you, and then the next thing, we talked about how close your team was to being a Super Bowl team because the offense was a Super Bowl offense. You had a Super Bowl quality return game with Terry Metcalf. Jim Bakken was a, was good enough to, to kick in a Super Bowl. And you had a playmaker at corner, right? A Hall of Famer in Roger Worley. How close were you? For example, if the Cardinals would have kept Dave Butts, would that have been enough to put that defense over the top? Oh, I, I'm, I don't know. It would have been a, it would have been a big help, uh, yeah, you know, Coriel got a lot of uh, mileage. Uh, the, one of his quotes when things were going bad, when he said, I've only got two defensive guys that could start for the Giants. And the Giants weren't very good at the time. And, of course, the next day at practice, every defensive player uh, uh, put a little piece of tape on his helmet. That It was said, Roger and question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knew that Roger Worley was one of the guys, and there was a mad scramble on uh, to see who was number two. But yeah, it was. Uh, if we won a lot of games, uh, thirty-four to thirty-one, and and whatnot, and uh, this was before the era of uh, all the rules favoring the offense, and we were close. We were close, but uh, uh, probably just not strong enough defensively. Dan, speaking of Don Coriel, so many people in St. Louis have such fond memories of, of Coach Coriel and his offense. When you look at the body of work and the impact he had on the game, do you think he should be in the Hall of Fame? Yes, I do. I, 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 know, I know why he's not, because uh, the voting body puts such emphasis on, on Super Bowls and, and playoff wins and all this and all that. Uh, Don to get into the Hall of Fame where I think he belongs, uh, deserves it because of his innovation and of the fact that uh, his offensive system is still in use by a large number of, of NFL teams to this day. And uh, uh, I think that uh, he's been close. He's been on the list of finalists a number of times. And, of course, Don's uh, deceased and uh, it, it would be after his death, but the reality is, I yes, I I firmly believe he should be in the hall. And when he when he came to St. Louis in '73, uh, people forget his offensive coaching staff was Rod Dahauer, uh, Jim Hannafin, and Joe Gibbs. Uh, a lot of coaching firepower on that staff. Hey Dan, as you look back. Do you have a favorite memory of those days in the 70s, especially the Cardiac Cardinals, 74, 75, 76, 77? Is there a game, a play that stands out for you in your mind's eye? Well, it, you know, Randy, the, the NFL in the 70s was kind of like the wild, wild west. You you could hit anybody anywhere on the field as long as the whistle hadn't blown. And maybe my favorite play of all time was we were playing the Cowboys in St. Louis and right at the, towards the end of the second quarter, we threw a touchdown pass to Jackie Smith and Jackie broke about four tackles on his way into the end zone. And, and the best part of the whole play was when you watched it from the end zone, because we're all running down the field, uh, trying to get in on the action and throw a block for Jackie, except for Conrad Dobler going the opposite direction. And, 
just about the time Jackie uh, is crossing the goal line, uh, Conrad is ear-holing Jethro Pugh at the 50-yard line. I mean, he's, he's, he's running away from the play just so he can hit Jethro Pugh, who was on his knees. And he did. He just clocked Jethro just as Jackie's crossing the goal line. And it was perfectly legal. That, that's the way the game was in the 70s. It, it, uh, it was mayhem. And he did have some dirty plays. You had a front row seat to what Sports Illustrated called the dirtiest player in the NFL. Did you laugh at that dirtiness as he as the game was going on? Well, you know, it wasn't. You know, <laughs> the word "dirty" has uh, a connotation that I, I don't think Conrad was uh, a, a dirty player in the sense that he never uh, tried to hurt someone. Now, did he try to hit you as close to the whistle or maybe that nanosecond after the whistle on every play? Absolutely. Was it Conrad's intention to get you so mad at him uh, that you take a swing at him? Absolutely. Because Conrad was a firm believer that it was impossible to take a swing at him and tackle the ball carrier at the same time. So there was a method to his madness, but madness it was. It was. It was, it was like playing next to the Tasmanian Devil. I, I, I could hear it a lot of times, but I didn't see it until we watched the film the next day. And I'd look at him and go, you know, you are a real blank disturber. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun, though. It sounds like it was. Fun. Oh no, it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, Dan, I also wanted to ask you about your broadcasting career. Was that something that you always thought that you wanted to do after you stopped playing football? I know uh, that you worked at Camel X before going national, and you you covered Mizzou, you covered the the Cardinals here. But was that something that you always had in mind as your next chapter? Yeah, I really did. And 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 after I started at Camel X, and I worked at Camel X for, gosh, six or seven years, uh, I just – I got looked at my uh, got my SAG uh, after card in the mail the other day, and uh, I've been a member of uh, uh, that union since 1975. That's uh, so my last uh, you know seven years playing ball. Uh, I worked uh, in the business. I remember being down on the field during warmups and looking up to the broadcast booth, and you know sometimes Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire were were up there and thinking to myself that I, I really would love to do that. So, uh, when, when I finally, uh, got into a network TV booth, uh, it was a culmination of, uh, something I've been dreaming about doing for a long time. You're such a natural at it, Dan. What was the biggest challenge for you transitioning into journalism? Well, I, I gotta tell you that, uh, I, I think people like myself that did it for a long time, if, if, if they were totally honest uh, with someone when they said, uh, how difficult was this for you? I, if you? I think a lot of us would just be brutally honest and say, it really wasn't difficult at all. Uh, it, it, all I can tell you is the, the red light comes on and it just comes out. And uh, it, it, it was always easy for me. Uh, I always had a... Uh, I always had the ability to think ahead a little bit and, and, and formulate what I was going to say while I was in the midst of saying something else. And, uh, in that regard, it was, uh, 
it, it just came naturally to me. And I, I, I've always never taken it for granted. I've always been thankful for that, but that's the truth. Once you got going as the full-time host of sports open line on KMOX, did you have a favorite producer? <laughs> yes. I, well, I, I had the producer that every other producer aspired to be. And, uh, his name was Randy character. And you know, Randy, we, you know, there, you told me that this was Joe from, from, from Cahokia better than anyone has ever done that before. It was, <laughs> I, I knew my Joe from Cahokia. <laughs> we had, uh, we had a lot of fun. And, uh, now Randy, you're, you're the great example of perseverance because, uh, it's, uh, you started out on the other side of the glass and, uh, to make the move that you made, uh, I, I never had to do that. I, I started behind a microphone. You had to, uh, work your way, uh, from one room to the other. And I've always admired you for that. It's, uh, it wasn't easy to do. And you stuck with it. Well, and, and the fact that I had boosters like you and like Jack Buck that were willing to go up to uh, Mr. Highland's office, to go next door to Mr. Highland's office and vouch for me, that's why I am where I am. I tell people I've been in the right place at the right time, and a lot of that is having people like you and Jack that uh, w- went to bat for me. Well, I, and we did, but I got to tell you, I went to bat for you. It was, it was never in Mr. Highland's office. <laughs> Maybe Jack Buck went in there, but I was afraid of that place. I didn't want anything to do with that. I got one more thing for you. And in addition to a great Hall of Fame football career and a Hall of Fame broadcasting career, Dan Deardorff was a Hall of Fame restaurateur. And I want to just relive this with you, Dan. Here we go. Oh, I'm God. thinking of a steak, a thick, choice, juicy steak. Or maybe it'll be seafood, lobster, or swordfish. Chops sound good, too. Pork, lamb, or veal. And for dessert, oh, this isn't fair. It's time to eat. I'm out of here. We hope to see you soon at Deardorff and Hearts, the choice of St. Louis, in Westport Plaza and Union Station. Now, that commercial's almost 40 years old, and once a year, somebody will say, I'm thinking of a steak to me. <laughs> well, that... that 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 saying has got legs okay uh, we deardorff and arts we uh, ran that restaurant for 33 years and in a business where 33 days is about the length that a restaurant is open we were we were very proud of that and uh, uh you know it, it just came time to uh we ran uh, we ran a good race and it was a lot of fun and uh, I like I sold a lot of red meat in St. Louis, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> what was it? The the one steak in my life that I couldn't finish. What what was the cut of your 48 ouncer? Oh, that was a porterhouse. Okay, I, I ordered yeah. that one night, and normally I can order a pretty large steak. At least back in the day, I could and finish it. I couldn't finish that baby. Well, Randy, that's four pounds. <laughs> that, that you know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I never I'm put glad. that perspective. I'm not sure what that would say about you. First of all, if you were able to finish that steak, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, it's so good to hear your voice, Dan, and always great to reminisce about uh, those days. We appreciate you taking your time. You're always generous with your time with us. Have a, a great day, and thanks again. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I'm going to spend the rest of the day trying to get 
the image of my 70s wardrobe out of my mind. So <laughs> we, we always bring that up. Yeah. All, All right, right. Thanks, guys. Take care, Dan. Michelle, Randy, thanks. You got it. That is uh, Dan Deardorff, the Hall of Famer, with us on 101 ESPN. That is the largest steak I think I've ever heard of. A 48-ounce porterhouse. And did anyone eat it by themselves? I can't imagine that somebody <laughs> could. But I ordered it just for fun. I, I never put it in perspective that that's four pounds, though. That's, that's No, that's three, isn't it? 16, 32, 40, three pounds. Oh, still. still pretty large steak, yeah. It's a lot of red meat. <laughs> pretty amazing. That's Dan on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the All-Star Game is tonight, and it's going to have a new look, which will be pretty fun. That's coming your way with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It was great to hear from Dan Deerdorf, and we're on till 11 today. After the show, you'll be able to go to 101ESPN.com, listen to the podcast brought to you by I Promise, and hear Dan, and you'll also be able to hear Roy Green if you don't hear him coming up at the top of the hour at 10 o'clock talking about the 80s. I could listen to Dan Deerdorf talk all day. He's got great stories, and he's a fun guy. He's just one of the all-time best. Michelle, tonight, the All-Star Game, and you'll hear it here on 101 ESPN, pregame at 6 o'clock, and... We're obviously focused on the Cardinal guys. You've got Nolan Arenado playing in his seventh and Alex Reyes playing in his first. But there are 40 first-time All-Stars in the All-Star game. And if you're trying to attract a younger audience, I think having so many young first-time players really does work to the benefit of baseball if you can get those eyes to the television screens. I also think it's great for the game because baseball is so popular regionally that a lot of people, a lot of fans are so locked into their team that they're not exposed to a lot of the Mm -hmm. other talent throughout the league because they don't really have time to watch other games the way that they watch their own team. So to get such an infusion of new talent, 40 first-time players on a national stage, I think you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on players that certain fan bases may never see. And we have certainly talked a lot about marketing baseball players and this is obviously 2020 hindsight but major league baseball and i know they've bought spots on espn but they should be all over espn radio they should be all over other networks if they can saying watch shohei otani start and bat second for the american league absolutely how many people do you think tuned in last night to the home run derby specifically because shohei otani was participating it was a very entertaining event. It was, it was, it had the drama. It was very fun. I thought it, the guys who participated really leaned into the entertainment value of it. But how many people tuned in specifically because Otani was participating? I did. I thought I was going to win a bet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, I just think that looking at what happened last night, you should definitely be pushing Otani all the time Absolutely. if you're baseball. And if you're baseball, you've got. An electrifying guy like Tim Anderson. You've got Tatis Jr. You've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. You've got some other really interesting young players. Jared Walsh is was the reason for the Angels to get rid of Albert Pujols. You've got some really intriguing guys. And then you've got all these hard throwers on both teams. So part of the fun for me tonight is going to be watching these young first-year players. We didn't even mention Juan Soto. That's who's right. One of the great young hitters in baseball. It's going to be pretty cool. It was great to see Juan Soto last night, mainly because he was on my team, the winning team. Mm -hmm. Again, for those who missed it, I did win again in the uh, Home Run Derby draft. Randy had to spin the wheel. And I am going to have to uh, 
it landed on the Chubby Bunny, which is a contest in which somebody has to eat as many marshmallows, well, stuff as many marshmallows as they can in their mouth, and then say Chubby Bunny with marshmallows in their mouth. And we will be filming this for social media purposes. And it's not an expensive endeavor. Marshmallows are actually pretty cheap, right? And delicious. I like marshmallows. So, yeah, for me, this is going to be, well, I might or might not, but I probably will bring along a Hershey bar and some graham crackers. Are you going to roast the marshmallows somewhere in the office? No, just eat them all without roasting. So just you'll so have it, a, a cold s'more? A cold s'more. I yeah. love it, like a hot sub, cold sub, yeah. cold s'more. Now, we do need to reveal that we took some things off of the wheel of punishment. Some of them were Stan Kroenke based because that's clearly a punishment. It's bad for yeah. you to make Stan Kroenke your profile picture or wear a shirt that says I heart Stan Kroenke. But in light of the lawsuit and what was revealed yesterday, I couldn't stomach the thought of, Randy, you having to wear a shirt that says I heart Stan Kroenke. I appreciate that. It's a punishment for me, too, and I don't want that. I'm glad that I was able to erase that. All right, getting back to the game. Wouldn't it be perfect for Nolan Arenado to return to Colorado and turn in an MVP performance and then have Alex Reyes close out the victory for the National League? Yeah, that would be great. It would be great. I wonder how Colorado feels hosting this event and seeing Nolan Arenado back. Now, I know that the Cardinals played the Rockies already earlier, but to just see him there and the way he was engaging with the crowd last night, the way he's cheering on Trevor Story. He was Trevor Story's water boy. He was. He, he was his hype man, his water boy. He's just such a fun player to wow. watch on and off the field. It's got to be painful if you're a Rockies fan. Especially if you're a Rockies fan. And there's a pretty good chance that he was in stories here about coming to St. Louis. Oh, absolutely. So you're watching the guy that you loved that left cheer on and support the guy that you currently love that you know is leaving. That's got to really hurt. Of course. It's got to be brutal. Is there anybody that uh, really stands out to you that we haven't mentioned that you say, okay, I'm intrigued about seeing this person tonight in the All-Star game? Um, Let's see here as I look at the list. You mentioned most of them already. I always love a chance to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think he's he's electric. He's so fun to watch. Um, obviously, Shohei Otani is the marquee guy for everybody. And anytime I get a chance to watch Juan Soto, I'm in. Yeah, I think that's the big one for me uh, of the guys that are position players. I'm also, we've, we've seen enough of Corbin Burns, but I want to <laughs> see Corbin Burns against the best because the Cardinals, when he's faced them, they, they haven't been great, right? I want to see him against the best that the American League has to offer. Yeah, and I, if you, if I'm listing things that I'm excited about seeing tonight, I think number one on the list for me is Alex Reyes. Even though mm-hmm. we obviously get a chance to watch him a lot here in St. Louis, when I think about everything that he's endured and the fact that he is at this point and he's earned an All Star nod, and the fact that the country is going to get to see how great Alex Reyes is, that's the most exciting thing on the bill for me. Can I give you a pretty good lock solid guarantee for tonight's broadcast on Fox? Okay, I'll write it down. When Adolis Garcia appears for the American League, it will be noted that he was a member of the Cardinal organization. Oh, of course it will. Oh, yeah. I'm writing this down as a guarantee. Yeah, it is. Uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz will have the call on Fox. Oh, yes. And I can imagine that Joe Buck will want to bring that up. I would think (laughs) that's a possibility. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And it is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. 
Randy, the Tampa Bay Lightning, as we know, won the Stanley Cup championship back to back for them. They had their boat parade celebrating their latest championship yesterday. And as we know, in Tampa Bay, when they have these boat parades, the Bucks, the Lightning, they get after it. Mm-hmm. They party. Boat beers just hit different, Randy. Sometimes <laughs> things get out of control. Well, the Stanley Cup uh, suffered some damage yesterday during the boat parade. There were some pictures that were revealed that there was a massive dent in the top part of the cup. It was Ooh. almost, looks like it was squeezed together. There's a photo of Pep. our guy Pat Maroon holding the dented cup that made the rounds. But after the, the cup sustained the damage, don't worry, this is actually a specific cup that is used for the celebration. There's a separate cup that will be in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. But to add a little bit of insult to injury, the cup that was damaged during the parade that the Lightning had to celebrate their Stanley Cup victory, it has to go to Montreal to be fixed. Oh, So the Stanley man. Cup will in fact go to Montreal, but only because the Lightning damaged the cup in their celebration. That is literally insult to to injury. That's right. Poor folks in Montreal. But how smart of the NHL and the keeper of the cup to have a backup right. cup for these guys to celebrate when, with. When you've had the cup spend a night in somebody's front yard or a night <laughs> at the bottom of Mario Lemieux's pool, <laughs> at some point you get the idea, yeah, it's not a bad idea to get a backup cup just in case these guys are a little too rough with it. Yeah, you know that they're going to be rough with it. Yeah. They've earned it. They've earned that opportunity to do whatever they want with the cup. It's their celebration and subsequently their day that they get. But this, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. It was smashed. I wonder how they did it. The top of the cup was smashed. It's not very respectful. Yeah, but Stanley probably has endured worse. Is there any way a boat parade can be as good as our parade? Ooh, I don't know. Tom Brady's boat parade looked like a pretty good time. But for fans? No, not for fans. No way. Yeah. No way. I think that that parade might be the single best day of my career ever. Period. End of story. Saying a lot. And we've had a bunch of amazing moments here in St. Louis. But for you and I to get to walk with the players and experience it from both sides because we got to see the fans and how just it was pure joy the joy coming out of the Mm -hmm. fans but also get to be on the other side of the barricade with the players and see how much joy the players had sharing this moment with the fans and getting to document that was it was the most special day that i could have ever imagined you're killing me smalls randy when we talk about missouri you know stan Kroenke, the nfl they want to rip missouri they want to say Missouri guy yeah they want to say it's a terrible place to be But it's actually a great place to retire. So we had a survey that was recently done. Let me get the person here. It was bankrate.com did a survey about the best states to retire. Do you want to guess the number one state on the list? I'm going to go Florida. Florida comes in at number two. Great guess. Georgia actually topping Mm. the list. So what Bankrate did was they looked at affordability, wellness, culture, weather, and crime. And even with crime crime and weather being in the mix, Missouri comes in at number four. The fourth best place to retire with an overall score of 20. I'm mildly surprised, but I guess if you look at the Lake of the Ozarks and you look at Branson or... You just look at cost of living, ability to get around at an older age. Now, the care thing is interesting, but that's a good thing to know. I'm surprised. Who was three? Tennessee. Here's your top five. Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Missouri, Massachusetts. Hmm. Rounding out the top ten, 
Wyoming, Arizona, which I assumed would be higher I on the it list. Would too. Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Well, good for Missouri. And for our friends on the ill side, Illinois coming in at number 38. Not bad. Do you have 50 there, by the way? Just I do. The place uh, that you don't want to retire to. I think a lot of people assumed it might be California just because of the money. Mm-hmm. It's Maryland. Interesting. And another surprise coming in at number 49, Minnesota. That is surprising. Land of 10,000 lakes. A lot of lakes there. Very beautiful. Yeah. Nice people. Midwest. I would have never picked Minnesota to come in at number 49. Mayo Clinic? <laughs> I mean, when you retire, you think about things like that. You think about like, health care, right? Yeah, for sure. And the, the best health care? Kind of surprising. Although there's a Mayo Clinic in Arizona, too. Yeah, which is in the top 10. Yeah. But Maryland, number 50. Hmm. hmm. You're killing me, Smalls. So a lot of people are wondering about LeBron James and if he's got retirement on the horizon or if he's even thought about putting a timeline on retirement. Well, he was on the Smart Less podcast, Randy, with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett, which is a very funny collection of guys. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like LeBron is intending to retire anytime soon. He said, quote, I truly hope that I can finish my career with the Lakers, however many years that is. If it's four, five, six, whatever, seven, I hope I can continue continue to play the game. I love being in LA. My family loves being in LA. Being with a historical franchise like the Lakers is something. It's like me being in Space Jam. I never thought it would be possible. You think about Kareem and Magic and Wilt and Jerry West. The whole list goes on. Now, LeBron's a free agent after the 2023 season. So if he wants to stay with the Lakers, he's going to have to get a contract extension for them soon. But if he, in fact, wants to play four, five, six, or even seven years, he's turning 37 in December. So that has him in his early 40s. I wonder if the Lakers, even though LeBron is LeBron, really want to commit to him for that long. And does somebody make that commitment with the hope that they can have him play with his son? Yes, I would think, because that is something LeBron has openly talked about, that he wants to play with Bronny in the NBA. That's a goal. So maybe when he's listing those those time amounts, four, five, six, seven years, that's what he's thinking of. And if you're the Lakers and you're an historical franchise, just so that you can have that marketing ability to have Bronny and LeBron, a 41 or a 42-year-old LeBron, do the Lakers do that when it's incumbent on them to win? I don't think people in L.A. are going to be as excited about going to see an old LeBron James and his son play as some markets might be. That's true. Yeah, but it it still is LeBron and it still is the Lakers. So I imagine as long as he's the biggest star in the game, which he will be until he retires, that at least some Lakers fans, they love the star power of someone like LeBron. Yeah, but man, I I just remember the inconsistency of Jordan when he came back with the Wizards. And not that he was bad because he had some really magical moments, but LeBron isn't going to be good enough for enough time at that age for them to be competitive. Do you think that he's fully in the driver's seat, though, when it comes to determining when he wants to hang it up? Yes. If he's willing to go to another team, not necessarily with the Lakers, but if he wants to play in the NBA, there are a lot of teams that will want him around. Well, you think the Lakers would be the one to make the decision and say, we don't care that you're maybe the 1A or 1B goat in the entire history of the league. We're done here. Right, because they've got AD under contract. They know that... If they lose, people don't show up. They had to slash ticket prices by about 75% when Kobe got hurt, when he suffered the Achilles injury. Didn't even Jack Nicholson stop showing up? Yeah, right. So they need to win if people are going to show up. 
It seems like a common theme in L.A. That's kind of the part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't show up just for football games, for example, if your team's not winning, or even if your team is winning. But won't people, Randy, just want to drive out to Inglewood to see the stadium? Yeah, you. That's why you want to spend there? the ten or twenty or fifty thousand dollars on a PSL so that you can see SoFi Stadium. Yeah, right. That's Great. what the thinking is there. You're killing me, Smalls. So we know the Olympics are around the corner. Team USA is looking to win its fourth consecutive Olympic gold medal in basketball, but they hit a little bit of a snag yesterday. They lost their second consecutive exhibition game on Monday. Australia beat them 91-83 in Las Vegas. So dating back to the 2019 World Cup where the USA finished seventh, Team USA has lost four of its past five games. It's also lost two in a row now to Australia, which is another team who's expected to contend for the the gold, excuse me, in Tokyo. This is alarming. And chemistry is an issue here, but it's not going to get any better when Devin Booker and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton show up and haven't played with the team. And their first game is going to be in the first game at the Olympics. I hope they can put it together, but boy, they just did not. And by the way, Jason Tatum had a bad night last night. They did not look good at all. Um, Damian Lillard had 22. Kevin Durant had 17. But as a whole, as you mentioned, not looking great. But when you look at the the collection of talent on that team, you just assumed they were going to beat everybody. You did. The, the issue that concerned me was the big man and being able to take on big guys. I wasn't correct, though. It seems like their ability to defend the three is the biggest issue right now. And that happened last night, and it happened in the first game uh, against... Who was it? It was one African country. Every Nigeria. Nigeria. Yeah, they've got issues. Damian Lillard echoing what you're saying, Randy. He says these other teams that were playing against their experience and they've spent a lot of time together. We're still working at becoming a team. You have two more exhibition games, but then I have to believe that Booker is going to start. When, well, maybe Beal will still start, but it's going to be hard to get those other players integrated and to build chemistry with this particular unit. I also was reading a lot about this this morning and one thing that the Australians recognized about this American team and exposed is the fact that they're built with shooting in mind without or with sacrificing size and that's something that a team like Australia can recognize and exploit. And everybody will when you're going against the Nurkic's and the Jokic's of the world and Germany has big men. It's a global game with a lot of seven foot, 280 pound guys, and the USA didn't add anybody with that amount of size to their roster. It, it, that has a chance to really burn them in the in the paint in the Olympics. It does. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, a few more texts and mic drops from you about the NFL hearing yesterday, and a couple of more tidbits that. We've talked about, number one, I'm going to give you the amount of money that you might be looking at if you're St. Louis from the NFL. And there was one other interesting Stan Kroenke note about his attorneys that we'll have for you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. so much in the NFL St. Louis hearing yesterday at the Carnahan Courthouse downtown. And Ben Fred, a Joel Courier at stltoday.com, did a great job. If you will check out my Twitter timeline at Randy Carricker on Twitter, you can look. And a couple of things, Michelle, that I wanted to get to that I didn't have time. I was 
typing on my phone furiously yesterday and taking notes furiously too. It was, and thank you for tweeting so much out. It was very great uh, for a lot of people that are following this along to get that information in real time from you. A couple of notes that I wanted to pass along. Uh, Number one, December of 2015, and this was weeks before the the vote. uh, Kevin Demoff said to the owner of the Chiefs, Clark Hunt, uh, Hunt said that Demoff told him the Rams are gone to L.A. The hmm. vote wasn't even a concern at this point. The Rams are gone to L.A. Kroenke did research through his attorneys as to how he, Kroenke, and the Rams could sue the NFL owners if they rejected him. And the NFL never intended to force Kroenke to negotiate with St. Louis in good faith. It was all... This isn't a term that's used in the lawsuit at all, but it was all a planned conspiracy to get the Rams out of St. Louis. Now, we talked in an earlier segment, Michelle, about how much St. Louis might be able to glean from this lawsuit. And the way the lawsuit reads, number one, the plaintiffs are entitled to restitution in the amount of all sums obtained by the defendants based on their improper conduct described above. That includes the loss for St. Louis of about $2 million in amusement tax nationally, a 7.5% property tax, $7.5 million in property tax, I'm sorry, $1.4 million in sales tax, plus the dome debt, which is $100 million. So we're talking about over $100 million with the dome debt, $100 million in lost tax revenue. And they also want, uh, but not limited to, the relocation fee, $550 million, the increase in team value resulting from the move to Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and the benefits conferred on the Rams during the team's tenure in St. Louis. So you've got about $200 million with the lost tax revenue and the dome debt. You've got $17 million that was spent on trying to build a new stadium here in St. Louis. You've got the $550 million relocation fee. And when the team left St. Louis, it was worth $1.4 billion dollars right now according to Forbes it's valued at four billion dollars which is a difference of 2.6 billion dollars add up the 207 200 million dollars plus the 17 million dollars from the stadium attempts the 550 million dollar relocation fee and 2.6 billion you're looking right now at three billion three hundred and sixty seven million dollars that's right now because the value of the franchise hasn't gone up well, there are, we don't know how much it's gone up or how much it will go up by the time this trial is heard. So right now you're north of $3.3 billion is what you're asking for if you're a St. Louis from the NFL. Out of all the things that you just listed there that are involved in the money that the NFL and San Kroenke may have to pay. The thing that I wrote down is the increase in the team value because that's what was the driving force behind all of this. The reason that Jerry Jones convinced Stan Kroenke to do this, what what made Stan want out of St. Louis so badly, is the increase in the valuation of the team. So to think that the thing that drove them to do this is the thing that's going to probably be a huge chunk of money that's coming out of their pockets is so sweet. But, Randy, with that three billion plus dollars that the league and Stan Kroenke might be on the hook for who's paying all of that is that Stan Kroenke that's in charge of all of this or is it because I imagine that if there's any sort of loophole where it's the NFL as a whole he's not going to want to foot the bill the I believe and I'm not sure about this that the league will have to come up with 
a division. Right now, the league, the NFL, is still party to the lawsuit, in addition to about a half dozen owners. And right now, there are a group of owners that are on the outside looking in because the judge said, well, what did they do wrong? And Christopher Bauman, the St. Louis attorney, said, well, they voted for the move. Mm-hmm. So people like the Ford family or the McCaskey family that aren't a party essentially to the lawsuit, except for the fact that they, they did vote, they aren't included right now. But the NFL is comprised of the 32 owners. Right. So they are going to have to come up with a division to determine how who, who pays how much, but... Kroenke has the $2.6 billion advantage in franchise value, and the league has the $550 million in relocation fee. So I would think that the $550 would fall on the league and the $2.6 would fall on the team, and then the other couple hundred billion dollars would probably be divided because all of them were lying about St. Louis having a chance and St. Louis losing the money that they did. This is getting juicier by the day with all of the stuff that we're learning about this. But that's where I think it could get particularly juicy and messy because all of them are going to turn on each other. They're all going to be pointing fingers at one another. They're all going to be pointing fingers at Stan saying this was your vehicle that you were driving. We were just party to this. Jerry Jones is certainly not going to take the heat for this. He's going to want to throw people under the bus because no one's going to want to have to pay for this. Right. And... Ultimately, if you, if I could pick one snippet as to why I think St. Louis will win, there are two parts of this. The relocation guidelines specifically say, quote, no club has an entitlement to relocate simply because it perceives an opportunity for enhanced club revenues in another location. There's an email from a league owner that says this is all about the money. Mm-hmm. And Roger Goodell said when being deposed, that it was mandatory to follow those very guidelines that I just read from. I think it's pretty simple. So they're essentially getting caught by their own words. Yeah. So tough go for them. I feel bad for them. I don't. Not one ounce. Not one ounce, Randy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to look back at the 80s. Boy, did we have some fun football in the 80s. Roy Green, a St. Louis football cardinal and one of our favorite people, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time warp. Time warp. It's flashback week on 101 ESPN. Now here's another great moment from the 1980s. by Randy Clark. This goes to the short man, Roy Green. He might score. OJ, the lone setback, he's in the pass pattern. The ball is aired out for Green, and it is a touchdown! Finals is just about giving up trying to run. Green, I don't think they'll catch it. Touchdown, Cardinal, 75 yards. He finally burned him. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and it is great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and visit with one of our all-time favorites from the 1980s. The great Roy Green is with us. Roy, it's good to have you with us. How's it going? Oh, just great, Randy. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, and I was thinking as I heard that Pat Summerall call, he said, I don't think they're going to catch him. 
I don't think anybody ever caught you. <laughs> I hope not. That's, that's what I really ever don't want anything ever to happen. And and even now these days, I always make sure when I see my friend uh, uh, Eric Dickerson <laughs> and guys like that who I've seen that uh, Daryl Green have came back and caught. So I still talk about those guys. How can you let somebody – you're supposed to be so fast. And you let somebody come from behind and catch you? So. <laughs> Roy, what was it like for you? Tell us about the day where Coach Hannafin came to you and said, I want to put you at wide receiver. What was your thought process when he said that? You know what? It was uh, difficult. Well, not really difficult. Uh, I used to, after practices, always go out and catch balls and mess around with uh, Theotis. Uh, Brown and uh, OJ, <laughs> you know, we run against each other, catch balls and all this kind of things. And also, about a few days before that, Theodis had said to Coach Hannison, said, Man, Coach, I'm telling you, Roy, Roy could be a receiver. You know, that day everybody just kind of laughed. But a few days after that, uh, Coach Hannison came to me and said, Roy, you know what? I, first of all, I need some help because everybody was hurt. At that time, we didn't have the five receivers coming out on the team. We only had about three guys that were active, and one was uh, going to be inactive, and one was built up. I mean, beat up a little bit. So he said, "Hey, I need some help." And I go, "Man, I love it." So he said, "I'm gonna let you try it. We're gonna see it." Uh, we were playing the, the Cowboys actually that game, and uh, so I went out. Uh, he just told me, "You got one play, and that's to run, run fast as you can, and go catch it." So that was very easy. And uh, against Cowboys in the second half, I had an opportunity to go out, and I had my first ball. I caught it. And, you know, uh, the next week, Coach Hannafin came to me on Monday after practice and said, hey, you're playing next week, and, you, and you're going to start. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, we, uh, so that next week against uh, Washington uh, was my first game starting at uh, – Wide receiver I had a good, uh, and I remember I had, I think I had, a, yeah, I had a touchdown and I caught a few balls over 100 yards. And uh, from that day on, I was called a receiver. <laughs> and in that game against Washington, didn't you pick off a pass too? Caught a touchdown pass and picked one off? Yes, I did. Yeah, Theismann uh, late in the game. Uh, I was playing my, at that time, I was playing a little bit on both sides. And uh, the nickel. Uh, group that would run out against the passes and uh, came out playing my safety position and got a pick later in the game and didn't realize that at that time, I think it was over 25 or maybe 30 years before someone had done it. So it was was pretty uh, amazing to me. Roy, after you made the transition, you and Neil Lomax, your quarterback, had such a great connection. Lomax to green is what everyone was saying here in St. Louis. When did you know that you two had that special connection? No, very early in time. Uh, uh, I think primarily is when uh, our our coach, our coordinator, uh, oh, my God, I I just went blank. Rod Dalhauer? Dahauer, yes. Oh, he's going to kill me. <laughs> he came over that year for our offensive coordinator, and this guy was a stickler. And he came to an offseason. Uh, he's going to be a coordinator. And at that time, we didn't have offenses. I mean, yeah, offseason uh, groups come out and work together. <laughs> but he made me, Neil and myself come together every day, five days a week. 
during the off season, and you know we worked and we talked about the new way we're gonna, you know, run routes, uh, how we're gonna be a little uh, aggressive offensively throwing the ball. He said, "Hey, we might even throw the ball twenty five times this year." <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, we thought that was what that's unbelievable twenty five balls, but of course, you know they throw fifty times a game now. But anyway, so we had an opportunity to stay together and uh, work a lot together so we knew everybody else's movements what we thought we knew both of us knew about the offense what everybody's going to do and we learned more about defense together so it was a i think we were an advantage of the fact that we spent so much time together and knew how each other thought uh, thought roy it's amazing to me that here we are all these years later, let's see, 84, 94, 04, 14. So we're 37 years now beyond that 1984 season. And even with the game changing the way it has, only 32 seasons of more yards in NFL history than your 1,555 in 1984. What an unbelievable season that was. Oh, man, that was unbelievable. As I said, I think it was a lot of the cost of, you know, Dowhower first and foremost, this guy was a, in my mind, he was a uh, he was a genius, uh, you know. And of course, he learned from uh, Coriel, uh, uh, him and uh, Coach uh, Coach uh, from Washington, uh, Coach Gibbs. Uh, Gibbs, God, I'm, I'm I'm going so old now, but they they worked so much together and knew about offense football. Then a lot of people was always talking about running the ball, how important it was. But some of those guys knew that, it's, you know, with some dynamic guys at receiver that you can that you can make some uh, uh, hay, so to speak, that you can move the ball, you can score, you can make change the way the, the game is being played. And I think that particular season we did because we threw it everywhere. We had good receivers, you know, with Tilly and our tight end with, uh, Marsh was playing, and, and we used all each one of us. And the fact that uh, it was so many of us guys that we could use, and OJ in the backfield, OJ even caught like fifty some passes, which was unbelievable for us back that time. So we moved the ball a lot, and the fact that everybody was used it made it even easier for me. So. I think that's why we were pretty good offensively. And Roy, the late, great Jim Hannafin told me on more than one occasion, he thinks if you guys would have gotten another win in that 84 season and made the playoffs, that you were better than Chicago, that you were better than San Francisco, he thinks that you guys would have gone to the Super Bowl. There's no question in my mind we were going to win that Super Bowl. There was no question. And without, or if not having three of the worst, worst, calls we had in Washington of that game, we would have won. And, and really, more importantly than that, was about two weeks or before, we had the worst call against the uh, Cowboys uh, that we would have won a game and won that di- that division. And if we'd won that division went on, there's no way anyone's going to stop us. Because for some reason, Chicago, uh, the Bears and us, we, we acted. I mean, we were we were very good against those guys because they wanted to blitz. Uh, they wanted to get after people. And for us, we love people to come after us because on uh, our offensive line, we're very capable of uh, protecting. And unbelievable was OJ, who was the importance for us because no backs could really block uh, the tight end. I mean, not the tight end, I'm sorry. 
could block the middle linebacker with sing sing as we call and dent and those big guys on the end because you had to have a back to be able to block those guys. And that's why that 46 was so uh, dangerous against everyone else. But for us, we loved it. So we'd had that opportunity to go back during the, and make the playoffs. I think we were going to run it all the way. All right, Roy, you, you brought it up. So I, I'm going to lay the groundwork here of that Cowboy situation because it bothers me to this day. We're in July of 2021. It shouldn't bother me this much, but it does. And there's a, a Twitter site. If you ever get a chance to see it, it's called Big Red STL. And I asked Bob Underwood, the guy who runs it, if he would show that clip of that alleged offensive pass interference against you, five minutes left against the Cowboys. You catch a 37-yard touchdown pass. And you get called for pass interference. Take us through it. Oh, you've seen it, oh. <laughs> man. This is the uh, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm really I'm burning up right now. <laughs> uh, it was so simple. I mean, they came after us. We knew, as I said, we love people blitz coming after us, uh, and we always know. I mean, because I said Neil and I, we've always watched and knew when people were going to come after us and what we do. So even before the snap, I knew this is touchdown. And as I made my move and saw that uh, uh, Everson was going to try to grab me, <laughs> excuse me, and he tried to, but of course I avoided him around and he and he he reached out and got his hands on me, but not enough to stop me. And you know went out and touched it and I mean scored and was so happy and excited and said to myself, "We got it." As I come back, I see a flag, and I'm thinking, what happened? Who did what? <laughs> and the official called holding for me. Uh, I wish I could tell people some of the words I said, but I didn't. <laughs> but uh, that was the most unbelievable call against any receiver to call for uh, in- interference. It-, it was just unbelievable. And I think you told me one time, didn't Everson Walls apologize to you for that call? Almost every time we talk, he tells me. <laughs> he makes sure that he re- reminds me. I don't know if he, if he wants to be mean or, it, or <laughs> is he apologizing because he always tells me, he says, man, it was so unbelievable. He said, I even, as a matter of fact, he even said it after the game. <laughs> when they asked him, he even said, I, hey, I thought, well, I was trying to grab him. So I thought I got called for it, and, and and they called it for him, and he was unbelievable. So I'm, I'm just I just keep wondering for all these years. I always wondered, you know, what was that really about? Who did it, and why? That's America's team, Roy. That was America's oh, team. Man. That's that's what got us. Man, that well, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say it. I'm, I'm still <laughs> I can't believe that it, this has affected me. For all this time, it's still just room. I'm hurt right now. We, we really need, hurt. Yeah, you and I need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've used. I've gotten it. I've done everything. Nothing. <laughs> nothing has got me well. Nothing's gotten me well. <laughs> hey, Roy. I, as much fun as that was, and your career was so much fun for us with the kickoff return against the Cowboys, 106 yards, and you becoming a receiver after after being a safety, and the records that you set. The the last couple of years 
were not fun because you knew that there was a pretty good likelihood the team was going to leave and you had the strike season in 87. What, from your standpoint personally, what were those last couple of years here in St. Louis like? You know what? It was, it was very, very difficult. You know, most of us, when we, when you come in then and you know, you know, you're in this community and you have so many people that you're involved with. I had children, you know, that, and there was always a possibility that we might be leaving. You know, it was just back of your head all the time. You're not to have any idea exactly what was going to happen. And as I said, at that time, I probably was in the league about eight years or so before. So I was really entrenched into the community. I always had great relations with our fans and, and knew so many people and just couldn't think that we were going to be uh, a possibility of leaving. But I did understand that that possibility would happen. You know, we always put 30, 35,000 people guaranteed you're going to get that group every week. Uh, there were greatest fans there were, but for some reason, uh, you needed to fill that stadium to get enough people. Uh, in my ability, I mean, in my thought, that you had to get enough people to make that. Uh, those extra players that we had to need, we just couldn't afford them because all the other teams had big stadiums and they were filling them and they seemed to make it very easy to go and make people. So anyway, uh, at that time, I wasn't really thinking about the uh, the financials of it. I was just like, man, I'm moving my home. I called it my home. My kids called it my home, everybody else. So it was very difficult to leave and, and get there and, you know, uh, but I will say that I really have loved Arizona. It's been great to me. But St. Louis has always been a special place to me. Still have great friends there. Still call a lot. <laughs> See a lot uh, them. And uh, it, was, it was a very difficult time for everybody. It probably took about two or three years to realize, hey, man, we're not even in St. Louis anymore. <laughs> Well, Roy, you're such a, a special player to so many Cardinal fans here in St. Louis. It's been really fun for me since we found out we were going to have you on the show to talk to people about you. I called my dad and told him you were going to be on the show, and he was like, oh, man, no one could cover Roy Green. And we had Mike Claiborne on the show earlier, and he said, ah, oh, he's one of the most dynamic players St. Louis has ever seen. Randy, the same thing. When we talked about having you join us, he's like, he talked about your speed, speed and your size, and people just light up when they talk about watching you play. Is that something that you've been able to understand um, from St. Louis fans is just how much joy that you brought them with, with the way that you played the game? You know what? <clears throat> I loved it. I, I really did love it. And as I said, there was a there was a relationship for me. For some reason, uh, the fans, man, they, they just – they I, I felt like I was part of them because everywhere I went, people would talk to me. You know, I wasn't, I never had any problems with fans. Uh, everywhere I went in the communities, it seemed like a great time. I mean, I've been, I've been crazy places all over St. Louis. I don't know why, but I was, I was bumping to someone at a game or someone else and to be a fan and they would <laughs> invite me to go somewhere. And for some reason at that time, you know, players would never do it now. I'd be gone. I'd be gone. <laughs> I went to a place in, what was it called? Collinsville. <laughs> Collinsville. They had a place called, I think it was the Horseshoe. Uh, it was a sports fan. 
And every week, those guys, they have about 10 or 12 that would always come to the Cardinals game. And I would see them, and they would scream and acknowledge me. And I said, man, I'm going to go to one of these games, <laughs> one of these uh, 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 nights at, a, <laughs> at the coach. I mean, not the coach, but at the uh, restaurant. And I went. Man, I had the greatest time. And, uh, and, and met a couple of them, became friends. And, you know, that happens uh, so many times for me in the St. Louis. It was, as I said before, it was my community. I felt like I was a part of it. I was more than Magnolia, Arkansas, where I grew and spent all my time with all my family. That for me, I was more inside, inside of St. Louis than anywhere. That's incredible. I can just imagine what it was like for them to have you come hang out with them at the horseshoe in Collinsville. <laughs> but, Roy, I wanted to ask you, is there a player that you've watched over the past few years that makes you light up when you talk about them or that you love to watch play? As the players now? Yes. I love Julio. I love Julio. I, I really do. Uh, but right now, uh, our quarterback, Murray, it's unbelievable. This kid is, is let me let me first admit, this is probably the first player I missed upon. <laughs> as the draft prior to, I knew that he was good. I didn't think he was as great as he's gonna be. And I just said, Ah, you know, he's gonna really good. He'll probably go in the first round and yeah, I understand, but the first overall of the draft, I no way shouldn't be. And, uh, of course, you know, <laughs> I saw him about two days of practice, and I said, wow, <laughs> this guy is unbelievable. His accuracy, uh, of course, he runs a 4-3-40. That helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and he just has some way that when you even speak to him or hear him, this guy is nothing about winning. You know for some some way – He's going to figure a way he's going to win. And he's done some of that over the last couple of years. He's going to get better. But he is an expense. He's he's very special one. But Julio, as I spoke about the receivers, when I first came him out of uh, Alabama, and I spent some time with him, I mentored and worked with him for that particular offseason before he got drafted. And, again, one of those guys, when you see him about a week, you know it's something special. And this guy has been. You see what he's done, and I and I I must say that this season uh, he just got moved from uh, Atlanta to uh, Tennessee. Who who we're as the Cardinals going to play first? It's going to be very difficult for me because we got to beat his butt. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think everybody's going to realize that he's been hurt a little bit for the last year and a half. But if he's anywhere close to health healthy, he's going to be back again as the first best wide receiver in the league. Roy Green, one last thing. I know when you went down there, you uh, got together, you and uh, a group of friends, to play golf. Is that group, and it, was Vince Coleman in that group? You had a group of guys that you played with. Are you still playing, and is that group still playing? <laughs> you know what? I have been injured for the last year. Haven't touched the golf in, in that amount of time. I've been hurt. But I must say, within about few few weeks, I'll be back kicking their butts again with, <laughs> with Willard and uh, Ozzy, uh, 
Charles. Oh my gosh, I had to say his name. Yeah, and, and Charles, I'll be kicking those butts again in a, in a few weeks. Love it. Hey, Roy, it's so great to hear your voice. Uh, last time I think I saw you was at the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame induction, and uh, we, we don't see you enough and don't hear from you enough, and I really want to take the opportunity to thank you for coming on with us and reminiscing. It was great. Oh, man, it was great for me. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I, like I said, I love that community. There was a part of me, and make sure if anybody sees uh, uh, Mr. Wallace down there, just give me a hello to him. Bob Wallace, <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and all of those that I've known, because I'll be there soon, believe it. I'm going to be there very soon so I can come down there and play a little golf. Sounds good, Roy. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great day. Hey, thank you, guys. Have a good one. See ya. That's the great Roy Green on 101 ESPN. What a legend. Can you imagine that happening now in the social media era where players go and they're hanging out with fans at, the, at a, just a local bar in, in a town because he wants to hang out with them and see them? That would happen now, and people would take pictures of it, and then they would be mobbed anywhere they went. And you can hear it in his voice or by his answers, but he is just such a genuinely great human being. Yes. He's just a great guy. He seems like it. I wish I was hanging out with him at the yeah. Horseshoe in yeah. Collinsville. <laughs> One of the all-time favorites, Roy Green. Thanks to him for joining us. Coming up, you know, the uh, the Fastlane does that gauntlet every day. They do, yes. I and listen to it. Th- there have been requests for Randy to participate in a gauntlet against each of the Fastlane guys. And Emily has set this up today. I am going to do a gauntlet here in the 10 o'clock hour against BT. That's who you chose first, was Brad and baseball. I, I just chose baseball first. Yes. So we'll see if I can win one contest today. <laughs> Plus, we're going to give away a four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash Cards Cubs. We'll do that in our next segment as well on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare the gauntlet. Four warriors, four categories, one challenger. Spinning into the end zone. Touchdown. Into big back play. Shoots. He scores. BT's got this freaking. Oh. Can you survive the gauntlet? That is the question that is asked of Randy Carricker this week. You have asked for it. We are delivering. I am going to try to go through the gauntlet, Michelle, of Brad Thompson, Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, and perhaps even Brad Barnes, if I can get through the first three. If if I get to the general knowledge, I will be a happy camper. Yeah, we... We should probably explain what this is for people who may not know if they listen to our show and don't get to catch the fast lane. Everybody listens to the fast lane. But you're right. Everybody does listen to the fast lane and everybody listens to the gauntlet every day because it's an awesome segment that they do. But basically, the listener has their choice of who they want to face in the gauntlet. And Brad Thompson is an expert in baseball, so they will have to face him in baseball trivia. Jamie, same thing with hockey. Anthony Stalter with football. And Meat is with general knowledge. And if they get through one person, they go through the next guy that they choose the next day and so on until they, hopefully, if they're getting through everybody, they complete the gauntlet. And a lot of people, Randy, with you being mega mind, you being an expert and a great sports trivia mind, they wanted to see if you could go through the gauntlet. So we're doing it this week. And I have chosen not necessarily Brad Thompson first. I chose baseball <laughs> first. BT, are you okay with that? Don't uh, don't think that I just, I said, I got to go after BT. That's not what I'm doing. I'm, bl- I'm just playing baseball here. Look, Randy, two things. One, I wholeheartedly agree with one of the first things that you said. It's that everybody listens to the fast lane. So I'll give you that one. 
That is good. The second one is be careful what you wish for, Randall, because Ooh. I might be ready. I had the day off yesterday, and uh, actually I didn't know about this, so I would have studied, <laughs> uh, but I'm ready. I'm ready to rock and roll. He just randled you. Uh, which is fine. BT is one of those people He's that ready. is more than allowed to randle me. He's ready is what I'm saying. Yeah, he right. is hey, totally ready. I'm looking forward to it. You guys have been killing it today, by the way, with all this, uh, with, with all the Ram stuff. Randy, you've been uh, on point, my man. So good stuff today, you guys. Thank you. All right, so, so the rule now is for me to leave the yes, room. Yes, Randy, you gotta, okay, you've got you've got to leave the room. And i got to go get uh, BT, i got to get a snack, right? Snacks, right, cone of silence. Yeah, cone of silence. Yeah, it's, it's very quiet in there. You can be alone with your thoughts. I don't know if there's any snacks. Uh, meat does a number on those bad boys. <laughs> but uh, but uh, just enjoy the silence. All right, I'll see you in a bit. All right, good luck, Randy. And um, BT, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that this is going to go is I will present the question to you. You get an opportunity to answer without the options. If so, you get two points. If you get the options and get it correct, you get one point, right? That sounds correct. Yes. Yeah, we're going to go with that. And chances are, let's be honest, I'll need the options because that's just kind of, you know, where I'm at. Well, I'm looking through these questions and they are difficult. So you may in awesome. fact need the I hope I, I really hope that they are all home run derby questions, not because I'm prepared for it, because of how angry Randy would be if these were all home run derby comps. So please, please let that be the case. They are it's not. not. It's general baseball. Dang it. I, did, I know. I did some like home run derby all star stuff already and I didn't want in the event that he would have lost the fight for him to be like double mad if you were <laughs> oh, to Oh, he him. gets so angry. That's so. not trivia. I know he did lose the fight today, too, Brad. So if you beat him, that's two L's for Randy today. I didn't want him to beat him. Yeah, so the pressure is on. All right, well, it's Brad versus Randy and the gauntlet. Question number one, Brad. Against which opposing team did Babe Ruth hit his first career home run? (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll just take the option. (laughs) Is it the Yankees, the Cubs, or the Red Sox? Uh, Yankees, Cubs, Red Sox. There was a time when the Cubs were good. It was a while ago, but then it got better. Um, it would be uh, uh, poetry if it were against the Yankees. It seems like a total Cubs move. <laughs> I'm gonna say it was. I'm gonna go with the. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Yankees here. Okay. Question number two for you, Brad. Who was the first baseball player to appear on a Wheaties box? First baseball player to appear on a Wheaties box. Okay, when the heck did Wheaties come out? (laughs) Um, They don't taste great. I agree. Uh, Very dry. Yeah, they're, they're they're not very good. All right, give me the options here. Is it Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, or Joe DiMaggio? All right, we're throwing it back here. <laughs> yeah, what were my options again? Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, or Joe DiMaggio? I told you they were hard. Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, we had a. You wouldn't go back to back Babe Ruth, so I'll eliminate that. I'm gonna just go. Uh, I'm gonna go Lou Gehrig. Okay. Question number three for you, Brad. Who was the first reliever elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Ah. Uh, this one, this this I should know. I'm going to take the options, Michelle, because I want to stay true to what I said before. Okay. Your options are Hoyt Wilhelm, Raleigh Fingers, or Goose Gossage. Oh, my God. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it could, it had to be before Raleigh and Goose, wouldn't it? 
Hoyt Wilhelm? <laughs> I think I know that name from my uh, from my double A years. I think he had a record scoreless streak for a while too. I'm gonna go Hoyt. Give me Hoyt Wilhelm. <laughs> oh, and your last question, Brad. Who was the first US That's not fair because Randy saw him play. He definitely did. He definitely did. Don't You're, tell him I said that. Uh don't worry. He will probably have some sort of story about Hoyt, I would imagine. Because Randy has a story about everyone. He knows everything. Question number four for you, Brad. Last question. Who was the first U.S. president to throw the ceremonial first pitch on opening day? Oh, Randy's going to know this one. This is right up his alley. God dang it. Options, Michelle. (laughs) Your options, Brad, for the first U.S. president to throw the ceremonial first pitch on opening day are William Howard Taft, John F. Kennedy, or Calvin Coolidge. Oh, my gosh. All right, Randy is going to mention Taft getting stuck in a bathtub. I know that's going to happen for sure. Guarantee. JFK, Calvin Coolidge. Give me the bathtub guy. Give me Taft. (laughs) Okay. This has been going on for a long time. You know, it's it's, it's America's pastime. That's right. And just because he got stuck in a tub doesn't mean that he can't throw one in there, throw a heater. Tubs were smaller back in the day, too. You know that. That's right. That's right. Okay, we're bringing Randy in. So, again, Brad used all of the options, so if he got any correct, he gets one point. Okay? Randy is coming in. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. You did good, Brad. You did good. Randy, Uh, Brad has completed his portion of the gauntlet. Are you ready? Yeah. How you feeling, BT? Randy, not great. I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I was telling them that I was really hoping that it was going to be all home run derby. Not that I was going to be ready for it, but I knew it would make you angry. Turns out it's not at all. Uh, so so enjoy. I, I will tell you this. Um, a lot of blind guessing. Okay. That might happen. I just, I just told uh, Mike Ryder before I came in. I said, I'm, I'm not doing any options. I'm just going for it. No options. No options. All right. That's a bold choice, Randy. Question number one, because you know Emily has hard questions. I know. All right. Question number one. You can one. always go back on that, Randy. I can. I know. Yeah, that's true. I might. <laughs> He's definitely going to. Question number one. Against which opposing team did Babe Ruth hit his first career home run? He was playing for the Red Sox, and he got traded to the Yankees in 1919. I am going to say that he hit his first home run for the Red Sox against the White Sox. Oh, I thought it was Emily. (laughs) I was ready for the fight option. Question number two, Randy, who was the first baseball player to appear on a Wheaties box? First baseball player to appear on a Wheaties box. Pete Rose. Question number three, who was the first reliever elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Okay, this is this absolute closer or because it's Hoyt Wilhelm, but he wasn't strictly a reliever and neither was Raleigh Fingers. I will go with Hoyt Wilhelm. Final question, Randy. Who was the first U.S. president to throw the ceremonial first pitch? William Howard Taft. Oh, no. Okay. I'm going to go through this. The first question, against which opposing team did Babe Ruth hit his first career home run? Randy said the White Sox, no options. Brad, with the options, says the New York Yankees. Brad up one nothing. Second question, 
Who was the first baseball player to appear on a Wheaties box? Randy, who did you say? Wheaties, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Zero points for Randy, no mm. options. Brad used the lifeline. He guessed Lou Gehrig, and he was correct. Lou Gehrig is the correct <laughs> answer in 1934. I didn't even know they had Obviously, Wheaties Randy. in 1934. That's right. I didn't either, Randy, but Babe Ruth was one of the options, and I figured they wouldn't go back-to-back Babe. Right, that's true, yeah. You never go back-to-back Babe. Question number three was, who was the first reliever elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Randy, without options, guessed Hoyt Wilhelm. With the options, Brad had the same guess, and that is correct. So Brad, up three to two. Yeah, mine was a guess. Randy's not so much. (laughs) Question number four was, who was the first U.S. president to throw the ceremonial first pitch on opening day? With the options, Brad guessed William Howard Taft. Without options, that's who Randy guessed as well. And that's the correct answer. April 14th, 1910. Brad, you got all four correct. Way to go with the options. Well, shoot or shoot, Michelle. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And I appreciate your aggressiveness. We've got a tie, boys. We've got a tie. So what do we do now? We have a tiebreaker question. Oh, this is good to hear. So how does a tiebreaker work? Is it the same thing that we do? uh, Yeah, tiebreaker generally. Randy will answer it first, but he won't do it audibly. He'll write down his answer and show you guys. So it has to be numerical, right? So it's closest to the pen. Um, so either, you know, he'll write it down and then you'll ask me, uh, what the, uh, you know, what my answer is of it. And I do, uh, I do oftentimes, uh, tell, tell the listener. So I'll tell myself, (laughs) no Googling, you jerks. No Googling, you jerks. uh, We'll go with that. That's good because that's exactly what I prepared. Okay, great. And I think you'll both enjoy this tiebreaker question. Okay. Brad, are you ready? No, probably not. (laughs) Randy, are you ready? I'm ready as I'm going to be. The tiebreaker question for the gauntlet, day one, Brad Thompson versus Randy Kerker, is this. How many total home runs were hit in the 2019 home run derby? (laughs) Oh, my God. 2019. (laughs) How many total home runs were hit in the 2019 home run derby? I, let's see. Um... Hold on here. I got to figure this out on my fingers. Okay. Get it, Randy. Um, I'm going to go with. Oh, wait, wait. Doesn't. Oh, no, you go first. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And Brad's writing this down. My bad. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Randy writes it down. He I'm better writing, not I'm say what it, it is. Yeah, we can't even see yeah. Brad right now. Oh, okay. So, so, so who goes first? Randy? I've, so, no. I, I've written it no, down. I, you, he just, yeah, he just shows you guys what his answer is, and Got then I'll it. just give you one. Okay. Randy has, show it to me one more time. I will. Mr. Carricker. Okay. And Brad, your answer is? Randy's going to be pissed. I might not hit this on the head, but I'm going to get close to it because I was doing some home run derby uh, <laughs> searching this morning, and, uh, and I know 2019 set a record, and it was north of 300. I don't think it, it was it's quite as high. I, I'm going to go 310-ish. Okay. Randy. I said I 190. Ish. I'll just give you 310. 310, okay. 194 is what I said. Okay. 194 for Randy, 310 for Brad. Emily, who won? You have chosen poorly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Randy. Randy. You lost day one of Randy. the golf. <laughs> I got to tell you, I didn't deserve to be here. 
And the only thing that saved me, you had Hoyt, Wilhelm, and Taft. I just said that Randy was going to mention Taft uh, got stuck in a tub. That's all. Uh, that, that's all I, I thought was going to happen there. I didn't deserve to be to the tiebreaker, and that you caught the one thing I did research on this morning. <laughs> so the tiebreaker question was: How many total home runs were in the 2019 home run derby? Randy guessed 194. Brad guessed 310. The correct answer: 312. Wow, so impressive. Brad was very close. No googling, you jerk. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm telling you, Rand. I, well, I will say this: I did Google earlier this morning. There was. A good ESPN piece on how this one uh, approached 2019s with P. Alonzo. So that did happen earlier this morning, full disclosure. That's great. Full disclosure. Well, first day of the gauntlet, BT takes down Randy. Am I done then? I think in normal circumstances you would, but we're just going to try your hand to see if you can beat any of the fast lane guys. guys. That's right. All right. I think keep rolling. That's going to be the play. Guys, uh, Randy, I don't even feel good about this at all. Oh, don't worry about it. No, it was good. You should feel good. You won. Yeah, you won. Congratulations, Brad. I know. I'm going to go call all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just Jamie, Anthony, and Meat. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be proud of you, though. You get bragging rights around the office. Yeah. Are, Are you back this afternoon or are you still off today? I will be back. You know, I, I'm doing hit uh, in and out during the All-Star break. You know, I'm, I'm going to be in today. I'm going to be out tomorrow. I'll be in again Thursday. Just a, a wave of me uh, over there. So uh, it'll, it'll be fun. I we, can't wait for today. We always love listening to you from 2 to 6. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. You guys have a good one. Thanks, too. Brad. BT with us and doing the gauntlet on 101 ESPN. Great job by BT. Great job by BT. And on a scale of 1 to 10, how angry are you that you lost on a tiebreaker question that was about the home run derby? I knew it was coming. You That's, did? Yeah. People like to troll me with the home run derby. They that's do. fine. I'm surprised there weren't more questions about the home run derby. To be honest, because yeah, we do fine. like to troll you. We do. Yeah, hey, I fine. went all general knowledge on, on the regular questions. Yeah, it was good. That was fine. I, f- I figured it was going to be how many home runs did BT allow or something like that. <laughs> so, hey, 101 ESPN is your chance to pick a f- pick up a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cards Cubs on July 20th. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Scott and Ed Spezio bobblehead. You have to be 21 and over. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser. You can get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash promotions. But you can get tickets from us right now. We had Roy Green on the show earlier, and he obviously practiced at Bush Stadium and was talking about his friends, Ozzy, that he likes to play golf with, and Vince Coleman. Well, here's what we need to know, and it'll be texter number 81, Roy's number, texter number 81 to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. If you can tell us the name of the bar that Roy went to in Collinsville, Illinois, and met some new friends. What was the name of the bar in Collinsville, Illinois, that Roy went to? Texter number 81 gets the four-pack of tickets for the Cardinals Budweiser Bash next Tuesday against the Cubs. Looking forward to it. Yes. And that was a great story that Roy told us. It was fantastic. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with BK as we head towards BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Congratulations to Harvey from Fairview Heights, Illinois. He wins the tickets to the Bud Bash next Tuesday at the ballpark. Said he really enjoyed the Roy Green interview, and we appreciate Harvey listening in. Just got uh, multiple texts from people that have listened to the interview, including our friend Chris Kerber. Uh, Roy Green provided people a lot of great memories in our town. Yeah, they did. Like I said during the interview, anyone I spoke to about Roy Green, they just light up when they talk about him. 
He, he's a lot of fun. BK is getting ready for the show. BK and Ferrario featuring Tanner Hendrickson. BK, good to see you. How you doing? Well, what's going on, guys? How are you guys doing today? Everything's good. Interesting day. Uh, obviously, the NFL versus STL lawsuit. We're moving forward with that. And tonight, we've got Nolan Arenado and Alex Reyes in the All-Star game. Yeah, not too shabby. Randy, you've been all over this uh, lawsuit from the beginning, and certainly your coverage yesterday was fantastic. What's What's next, I think, is the biggest question that I've got from people because obviously yesterday, huge day, they move forward. They're able to get closer to the discovery process, which is really what everybody wants to see. What's next in that step? And they can get more discovery now. And there was another hearing that was supposed to take place yesterday, but they negotiated a a settlement. They didn't even tell us what that was supposed to be, but it was very easy for them to negotiate in the space of about 10 minutes behind closed doors. But what will happen next is within the next 10 days, the St. Louis attorneys can determine whether or not there are any other NFL owners that they would like to depose and find the financial information about and then once that's approved they'll move into that phase of actually trying to find out how much money these people have so that they can determine what their punitive damages should be if they should win and do you get the sense that there's no appetite here locally to settle this because i think the nfl would love to do that but it Seems like from all the conversations I've had, that doesn't seem to be something they're interested in. No, and I don't think that the NFL, maybe until yesterday, I don't even know if they're taking it seriously. They have not made an offer yet, a legitimate offer for (laughs) for a settlement, I I would think. But all of this discovery and all of these depositions, all of this information from those the St. Louis side wants that out there. That's very important to them. So I would think any settlement would include at an, an, at least an admission of wrongdoing on the part of the league and then whatever the financial uh, windfall would be. After what we saw transpire yesterday, though, if I was on the St. Louis side, I wouldn't want to settle. It seems like everything that they were hoping for is playing out. The thing is, though, if you never know what's going to happen at trial. You never know yeah. what a jury is going to do. So if you get a settlement that's close to what you're looking for and you get that admission so that you've got it down in writing, the NFL says, yeah, we screwed St. Louis. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to write that. Well, if Kevin Demoff, maybe, because he'll apparently write a lot of vulgar things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you could get that, I would think there would be a possibility. But at the moment, as we speak here on whatever the date is, July... 13th, 13th, there is zero appetite on the part of the St. Louis side to to come to a settlement. What do you think the goal of this is, though? Because obviously $3 billion is $3 billion, yeah. but I would think that from the St. Louis side of things, it's more than that. It's what you said. It's getting things out in the public. It's showing everybody, kind of bringing them behind the scenes of, hey, look at the way that this company operates. So... Even if doing achieving that goal means losing out on the $3 billion and not being awarded that ultimate prize, that seems like that should be the goal, but I'm also not the person no. that's getting the $3 billion. So but That has been the goal since day one, is to prove that, for lack of a better term, the NFL and the Rams did St. Louis wrong. That, I guarantee you is going to be part of the result of this, whether it comes out in trial or whether it's part of a settlement. A settlement would not occur unless there is an admission of wrongdoing on the part of the Rams in the NFL. Interesting. So should be fun. Should be fun to watch.
over the next year or so. BK, who do you got coming up? Yeah, looking forward to today. We've got Joe Haggerty. He writes about uh, the Boston Bruins up in Boston. He was the one that wrote about kind of the trade speculation. Could Vladimir Tarasenko make sense for the Bruins? So we're going to talk with him about that coming up at 11.30. Jeremy Rutherford at 12.15 and lots of home run derby, blues, cards, MLB as a whole between now and 2 o'clock. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you. That is BK and Ferraria with Tanner Hendrickson coming up. Tanner in place of Alex today. Great job by our producer-engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, great job as always. Thanks, Randy. I will talk to you tomorrow. And we thank you for tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, until 11, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise.